0: What would it take for you to trust somebody that's completely different from you? In our world, even though we're all one species, we're extremely different in so many ways. We have wildly different cultures. We look wildly different, at least to us. But to another to another creature who's completely different than us and looks at all and lumps us all together, it would be hard to trust them, and, and we in turn. That's kind of a theme that happens in this in this part of the in our last part of dragon's bottom twilight is the different people's coming together in the face of something awful and it took something awful to make them work together i guess you could kind of make it a, a parallel to world war ii all these different groups of people coming together to fight one awful thing as the nazis so that's our that's what we're going to be discussing this week on chuck tales On the last episode, seems like an age ago, um, the companions had been in a slave caravan heading to Pax Tharkas, this giant fortress where the Dragon Army had taken up residence and was basically using it as a base of operations to conquer all the surrounding areas. Solace had been destroyed. Um, The residents of Solace are now taken into custody, and they are actually heading to Pax Tharkas, most of them. And the companions, though, have gotten loose with the help of Tanis's Well, Gilthinus is Tannis' uh, brother. Uh, well, not actually brother. Of course, they're cousins, but that's a whole... We know we know that's a big complicated thing. But the eldest son of the Speaker of the Sons, Portheos, who has got them out, who is a... No one would like him that I know. <laughs> he's an extremely unlikable person, because he's not a person. He's an elf through and through. He's tall. He's ridiculously handsome he's cold he is emotionless he's also extremely
1: you're, you're describing me
0: <laughs> yes. your
1: nameless producer yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah you guys could be brothers um you know he, and um he's a he's a he was a, at first a very uninteresting character but they bring him in a lot more in the in the later books and becomes a really great character because he's forced to face his Prejudice. He's forced to face his because he's actually running. Ironically, he runs into a group of people more prejudiced than himself, who are actually related to him. The Sylvanesti elves, who are if the if the Quel elves are I'm trying to make a comparison to this one, we have ethno state people in this. In this country, we have Richard Spencer, who believes that he's basically advocating for a Qualanesti-type state, where white people can trade with other people, but that's the only people he wants to live there. Now, that's a shitty, disgusting thing to do, but that's basically what the elves in this time period want to do. But there, but the Qualanesti are the softcore group. The Silvanesti... It's death to enter their borders. If you're a human, especially, they do not trade with the outside world. They do not need trade with the outside world because they're so powerful and ancient that they need nothing else. They are virtually immortal, even longer live than their than their son-loving cousins. They are they were actually able to resist the dragon armies single-handed. They didn't need anybody's help because they were so powerful with magic and, you know, able even to fight dragons, you know, which is an odd thing, but... Um, the the we open now and we're being brought into Quallaneste. Porthias and Gelfanus are leading the companions into Quallaneste and it's a really, I've always loved this part of the book because it's one of the most, as I've talked about before, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman have a incredible ability to describe things and uh, the description of the city of Quallaneste is one of my favorites. Quote Sorry. Four slender spires rose from the city's corner like glistening spindles. Their brilliant white stone, marbled with shining silver. Graceful arches, swooping from spire to spire, soared through the air. Crafted by ancient dwarven metalsmiths, they were strong enough to hold the weight of an army, yet they appeared so delicate that a bird lying on them might overthrow the balance. These glistening arches were the city's only boundaries. There was no wall around Qualinost. The elven city opened its arms lovingly to the wilderness. Wilderness. The buildings of Qualinost... Enhanced nature, rather than concealing it. The houses and shops were carved from rose-colored quartz. Tall and slender as aspen trees, they vaulted upward in impossible spirals from quartz-lined avenues. That's always been hard for me to visualize, though. In the center stood a great tower of burnished gold, catching the sunlight and throwing it back in whirling, sparkling patterns that gave the tower life. Looking down upon the city, it seemed the peace and beauty unchanged from ages past must dwell in Qualanost if it dwelled anywhere in Korean. Now, I said Qualanosti. Qualanosti is the city proper. Qualanosti is the nation. So the companions can't help but be touched by it. Um, Here, there's a good passage between uh, the humans, especially having never seen it, you know, are especially entranced by it by, I venture, I guess, that all of them, even Flint, who had been there. Flint had worked there as a young as a younger dwarf. And that's where he had met Tannis. Um, as, I, well, as I've discussed, there's a whole book about that, which is one of my favorite books from this universe. So, um, quote. Even Riverwind seemed touched. His brace, his face softened, and he held Gloomwood close. For a brief instant, their caress, and their their caress and their sorrows eased, and they found each other in, in each other's arms, in each other's nearness. Tika sat apart, watching them wistfully. Tasselhoff was trying to map their way from Gateway in the Quel'donost, although Tannis had told him four times that the way was secret. The elves would never permit to carry to carry off a map. Um, this is we then get a conversation between uh, Gelfinus and Tannis, Um, it's not, it's definitely the Gildanus and Tannis used to be as close as brothers can be. Imagine you and your brother, if you really love them, I know some, some people don't like their brothers at all, but, um, and their cousins or whatever, but imagine a friend who's your best friend and you would literally die for them. That was how close these two were. Now they are not close at all because we'll discover later on it's because of a, Fairly good reason, but, you know, it's uh guilthiness resents Tannis lot, especially seeing him grow in a beard and he can barely speak Elvin anymore. He's been outside of the city for so long that he's and he's accepted that human part of himself. And no, no elf likes to see that. There's here. Here's a good exchange. Quote, tell me, Gilthinus, Tannis said in Elvin, the unfamiliar words, words halting and come back, coming back to him. What's going on? I have a right to know. Have you? Gilthinus asked, harsh, asked harshly, glancing at Tannis from the corner of his almond-shaped eyes. Do you care what happens to elves anymore? You can barely speak our language. Of course I care, Tannis said angrily. You are my people too. Then why do you flaunt your human heritage? Gilthinus gestured to Tannis's bearded face. I would think you would be ashamed. He stopped, but he has lipped his face flushing. That is basically part and parcel of the whole deal of it, is that they think he should be ashamed of being who he is, that part of who he is, because he is less. That part of him is less. And they think he should totally embraces Elvenside even though he will never be truly accepted. That's, uh, but as they go into this, as they continue on into the city, Tannis thought it seemed, at first he thought it seemed unchanged, but it, it is not. It's the feeling of the city is completely different, even though he's not been there a long time quote tennis at first glance saw everything exactly as he had left it 50 years ago neither the streets of crushed gleaming rock nor the aspen trees they ran among had changed the clean streets sparkled brightly in the sunshine the aspens grown, perhaps perhaps not their leaves glimmered in the late morning light the gold and silver laid in silver inlaid branches rustled and sang i don't know how they do that work gold and silver into a tree seem to be that would have to be magic of some type of craftsman surprised. yeah well it would have to be something otherworldly a skill we don't have because I, I would think that would kill the tree. Maybe not. One would think. But it continues. Quote: The houses along the streets had not changed. Dep- decorated with quartz, they shimmered in the sunlight, creating small rainbows of color everywhere they eye looked. All seemed as the elves loved it—beautiful, orderly, unchanging. No, that was wrong. Tess realized the song of the trees was now sad and lamenting, not the joyful, peaceful, joyful song Tennis remembered. Elves have a deep. Connection to nature, and they they can't speak to trees necessarily, but they do understand. They have a feeling of nature that that is beyond us. Like we are, where they're so long lived, they have more of a connection. Where we, and this part of himself, you know, this human part of himself is probably like this a bit too. We're here so briefly, but Tanis will live roughly as long as an elf. You know, half elves kind of get the best of both worlds to get what's known as hybrid vigor. I suppose they're all they're almost universally beautiful. Like a half-elf, a half-elf man or woman out in the world among humans would do extremely well. They would be pulling all of it. I mean, either one. So um, among elves, they don't do so good because elves have a different standard of beauty, and the elves to humans seem otherworldly beautiful. Like they're just – we'll get into that in a second. There's a good – description of that soon, uh, but it continues. Quote, Qualanos had changed and the change was change itself. He tried to grasp hold of it to understand it even as he felt his soul shrivel with loss. The change was not in the buildings, not in the trees or the sun shining through the leaves. The change was in the air. It crackled with tension as before a storm. And as Tannis walked the streets of Quilinus, he saw things he had never seen before in his homeland. He saw haste. He saw hurry. He saw indecision. He saw panic, desperation, and despair. The elves are A singularly tranquil people. They do not get ruffled. You, they rarely lose their temper or raise their voices. But they're also, we would find it off-putting because they 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 are extremely cold, according to us. You know, you've you've been with people who are friendly but standoffish. You don't really you like them, but you can't seem to make friends with them because they're just they have no warmth. So they um they're being. Called into one thing I wanted to say is that Tannis, when he was seeing this and and, and seeing and feeling how much different it was, and it disturbs him, he hears Fizban weeping behind him, the old wizard. He finds it extremely extremely strange. Um, he seems to be a daughter who doesn't know, seem to know what's going on around him. But I think we all, if anybody's listening to this or read these books, they understand there's something. Especially if you have read all of them, you know who this guy is. But if you haven't, you seem you probably should sense there's something big about this guy there's something he's much more than meets the eye he is a literal optimus prime so <laughs> um does he transform now, um yeah kind of we'll get into that later um then they're being led into the uh the tower of the sun and the chamber of the sun um i always like this part uh because flint especially is touched by it because it's Dwarven craftsmanship. And it seems to me that even the dwarves of this period of of this place, um, the craftsmen that they used to have, apparently, I don't know if that's a symptom of every culture where the the people that used to do things are better than they are today. We don't, don't even know if that's true. You know, it, it probably isn't because then that would mean that every succeeding generation is worse. But You know, you do look at older things and the way they did things, and it is it is amazing how they did those things. So yeah, like the pyramids. Yeah, well, there's that, but there's also like you know, case in point, the hedgerows in England. Well, they used to be done by hand and done in such a way that it was seemingly magic. They were able to do it with shears in their hands and, and create these hedgerows that, that england is iconic for we've all seen the aerial views of england and well the the younger generation does it with chainsaws and stuff of course and can't understand how that old generation did it without it because it is so hard with them even with chainsaws and with automated equipment so i think that's a pretty good analogy um there's a nice uh, description of the chamber of the sun quote the chamber was round and seemed immensely larger than the slender tower could possibly encompass. Built entirely of white marble, there were no support beams, no columns. The room soared upwards hundreds of feet to form a dome at the very top of the tower, where a beautiful mosaic made of inlaid, glittering tile portrayed the blue sky and the sun on one half, the silver moon, the red moon, and the stars on the other half, the halves separated by a rainbow. There were no lights in the chamber. Cunningly built windows and mirrors focused sunlight into the room, no matter where the sun was located in the sky. Sounds really like a really be beautiful place the streams of sunlight converge in the center of the chamber illuminating a rostrum uh, i'm just going to read this whole chap this whole passage because it's really it's a really good description quote there were no seats in the tower the elves stood men and women together only those designated as heads of household had the right to be in this meeting there were more women present than Tamas ever remembered seeing many dressed in deep purple the color of mourning elves marry for life and if the spouse does but sp- dies do not remarry Thus, the widow has the status of head of household until her death. I like, uh, there's some, the reaction of the elves is mixed. Um, I, they, they like some of the things they see about humans, I think, because even they are, are, find, a, find beauty. Well, there are people who knows beauty, so even people who are beautiful beautiful of another kind, they can see it. Um, sort of like us with other animals, like dogs and I would think, that's actually a really good analogy. Probably a little bit more because it is a bipedal sentient creature, but yeah, that, that is almost the level they would put humans on. You know, you're, you live maybe 70 years. I live 700, you know, so you are, you're an animal to me. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, there were, uh, quote, there were astonished murmurs at the sight of the proud and no more night of salamnia. And there were scattered mutterings over the appearance of race in his red robes. Even elven Elv- 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 magic users wore the white robes of good, not the red robes proclaiming neutrality that the elves believe was just one step removed from from the black as the crowd settled down the speaker of the suns came forward to the rostrum um his name's Sola he's always liked him as a character he's he's especially in kindred spirits the prequel to this where tannit flint meets tannis he is the one that asked flint to come and work in klawanos to open up a dialogue between races because he he felt like his people had been too closed off and wanted the outside world to come in a little bit and and trade and en- enrich his people's lives some. No humans, of course. He didn't but a dwarf is a different thing. Dwarves and elves at once at time had a great relationship. They built we'll we'll talk later, they built this great fortress of Pax Tharkas together. And it's one of the greatest things ever built on Kryn. So um But here, there is a good description of him here. Quote, It had been many years since Tanis had seen the speaker as his his adopted father, as it were. And here, too, he saw change. The man was still tall, taller taller even than his son Portheos. He was dressed in the yellow, shimmering robes of his office. His face was stern and unyielding, his manner austere. He was the speaker of the sons, called the speaker. He had been called the speaker for well over a century. Uh, That's a little bit of, uh, I think they retconned that. He had been the speaker for that's not a very long time. Uh, you know, again, this was written in 1984. There, we have been, had 40 years of Dragonlance books. So I think they've retconned that some. Um, he's, he's never – he actually has silver in his hair. That's one of the things that, you know, in the description that I uh, was reading. Um, but I felt it better to discuss that without, you know, the direct quote is that uh, elves, only really old elves have silver in their hair. And wrinkles, you're ancient. We're talking pushing over five hundred years old. Yeah, so ready to kick it. No, um elves. Elves can die of old age, but I think it's it's more intimated that they can choose to die when they want to, like like a Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that much control over your body would be a good analogy. Um, it's like the Scythi that we will discuss in Tad Williams' books, as I've discussed. You know who are I'm sorry to say it, I love this book and I love this world, but the Sithi are a far superior creation to anything in these books. Well, maybe the Minotaurs. I love the Minotaurs a lot. We'll get into them; they're pretty awesome. I mean, they just sound <laughs> they are big warrior people with horns. Who I love it. Who are completely unafraid of anything. So, um, but also very honorable, honor bound. They they're evil, but they're they will never stab somebody in the back if they can help it. You know so. They're, they're, even the Knights of Slamnia recognize how honor, how honorable the Minotaur people are. We'll get into them later. Um, this starts a meeting where they're just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Gelfinus has to tell a story about uh, trying to get in Pax which he obviously failed. Um, then they tell Gelfinus tells the story of Verminard meeting the Dragon High Lord Verminard. We've discussed him earlier. Um, Verminard—I've always kind of liked him— He's got a boba fett, Darth Vader quality to him because he wear he's a big guy, wears a fucking mask. We'll get into his mask. It's a dragon mask. It's really cool. He's an excellent fighter. Like we will get into that here in just a little bit about how good of a fighter he actually is. The the end you would call it the boss fight at the end of the end of the game is a pretty difficult one for the companions. So um there's a description actually from Portheo's point of view, so I'll go I mean from Gilfinus' point of view, so I'll read it. Quote Powerfully built, he was dressed in the black robes of the cleric of the Queen of Darkness. He is a cleric. Um, a black and gold cape fluttered around him. His face was hidden by a hideous horned mask, fashioned in black and gold to resemble the face of a dragon. The dragon men fell on their knees in worship as the dragon landed. The goblins and hobgoblins and foul humans who fight with the dragon men cowered in terror. Many ran away. Only the example of my people gave me the courage to stay. Um, I should also say that uh, during this time, they Gilthandus is told of the destruction of Solace and the elves cry out in dismay they the valen woods are as old as they are and it was one of the things one of the true wonders of the of this continent i don't know if there's valen there probably are valen woods and Taladus, but i've never heard them mentioned so um as as for the other places on korean korean is a big planet with lots of places on it um i think the valen valen woods might be particular to this one area of ansalon so the elves would know about that too. their Their knowledge extends to different places. They they're tight lipped and they do not trade with the outside world. But they are aware of these places through magic and stuff like that. So, um, then Gilfinus describes how they staked his people out and burned them. Verminard burned all the elves because that's what the that's what Tachesis, the god, the the dark goddess and her followers are attempting to do is. Some race. We're talking of a Nazi level annihilation of peoples. The elves are gone because they're they cannot be. They're too dangerous to be left alive. They're too stiff necked to to bend the knee, and they're not. And they don't want them to anyway, because they're a, a race of good. It Can't happen. Elves are all good, except for a few select ones called dark elves who turn from that, and then they are for the rest of their lives they are marked for death by every other elf who meets them they are obligated to kill them so yeah because they've turned against they've turned against the ways of good so they they are under a a lifelong death sentence in a 700 year lifespan that's a long fucking time to deal with something like that and we'll get into one to be on the fucking run yeah and we'll deal with one of those guys in later at one of my more favorite characters dalimar the dark who is an awesome character yeah it is it's great name it's one of the better names in the series, um, then Gelfenest tells of being saved by um, uh, Theros Ironfeld, the big giant. I always imagine him looking Seinfeld? like Ironfeld. Ironfeld. What's the deal? <laughs> What's the deal with forges? um No, he's a giant blacksmith, and he's a black guy. Um, like again, I, as I said, this Dragonlance was a very, especially for its time, a very inclusive fantasy. Like the northern Argothians are all. African, they're African-American, basically. So, um, you know, they're and they and they're not like portrayed as, you know, you, this, you get in touchy nomenclature here. They're not portrayed as quote unquote savages as they as they would be portrayed, you know, in other works of fantasy where the and it's not the people reading it think they're fa- uh, savage. It's the people who are around them think they're savages, you know, because they look different and all this stuff. In this, they're portrayed as sailors, uh, warriors, like knights. There's northern Gothians who are knights, and they're black people. And I always thought that was a really cool thing. Um, But then um, they tell, Gelthanus tells how uh, Theros was, his arm was cut off and healed by Goldmoon. So uh, then we have a nice exchange. Um, Quote, come forward, woman of the plains, the speaker commanded sternly. Goldmoon took a step toward the rostrum, where Riverwind at her side. Two Elven guards monks, moved swiftly to block him. He glared at them but stood where he was. Uh, I always like Goldmoon in this uh, in this part here because she shows she shows her dignity, and um, even though she is a mighty whitey, she is a great character. I've always liked her very much. Um, she shows her necklace. It's one of the necklaces of Mishakal. Now keep in mind that the elves never turned from their worship of the gods the good gods and this they didn't lose the gods they didn't forget them but it's more like catholics would be nowadays i guess where you still follow it but you don't really believe it or old jews well yeah most you could, jewish people are just culturally- it's just cultural now yeah. it's it's you go through the motions you don't really i i think that's a really good analogy is that people who are ethnically jewish but who aren't practicing in the church or Catholics, which is that a big ethnic thing too, among amongst the Irish, among all these people who some of them can be avowed atheists and they still go to church on Sunday, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but this incenses uh, the Speaker of the Sun, quote, blasphemy, he shouted, reaching out, he started to rip the medallion from Goldman's throat. There was a flash of blue light. The speaker crumbled to the floor with a cry of pain. As the elves shouted an alarm, drawing their swords and the companions drew theirs, elven warriors rushed to surround them. Now we have Fizban really stepping up and showing how powerful he actually is. Quote, stop this nonsense, said the old magician in a strong, stern voice. Fizban tottered up to the rostrum, calmly pushing aside the sword blades as if they were slender branches of an, of an aspen tree. This is interesting stuff. The elf stared in astonishment, seemingly unable to stop him. Muttering to himself, Fizban came up to the speaker, who was lying stunned on the floor. The old man helped the elf to his feet. Now then, you ask for that, you know, Fizban scolded, brushing the speaker's robes as the elf gaped at him. Who are you, the speaker gasped. Hmm. What was that name? The the old magician glanced around at Tassif Hoff. Tassif Hoff. Fiz ben, the Fizban, the kinder, said helpfully. I love coming up. You've got like a buddy cop movie with those two coming up, which is... Worth the price of admission. If that was on a show, it would be one of the greatest things ever, because it's so amusing, but also great. Yes, fizzban that's who I am. The, the magician stroked his white beard. Now, now saw a starring. Remember, nobody is, knows, knows his name, really, except the elves. So that's that's curious. I suggest you call off your guards and tell everyone here to settle down. I, for one, would like to hear the story of this young woman's adventures, and you, for one, would do well to listen. It wouldn't hurt you to apologize, either. <laughs> um then his hat tilts forward over his eyes he says, help i've gone blind and then there, you know he's going back to you know um things are smoothed out after that uh the speaker apologizes to gold moon um and says that you know he he didn't he couldn't since things between humans and elves has been so difficult to see it around a human's neck really incensed him and he just flashed out you know it's been hard on everybody and you know, i think i think i've driven that home that the cataclysm was pretty hard on everybody so <laughs> did, did it means it's a cataclysm right. it's not gonna yeah. not everybody's gonna have a good it's, time it's not called hard times it's called the fucking cataclysm dusty Rhodes could never have stumped, gone through this well you stumped your toe <laughs> um then we have um they're going to be taken away to you know rest and stuff then we have the introduction of one Lorana. Lorana is we've heard her mentioned before it's tannis's uh, raised with Tannis, they fell in love. You know, um, that's what broke up Gilthinus and Tannis and Portheos, is that they feel he is completely not suited for her, because he's part human. And she's part of an That's part of it. Okay. You know the uproar that Brits had with Meghan Markle?
1: Yes, I'm very familiar. As you know, I'm a big royal fan.
0: <laughs> I, I know. Uh, you've, you've got the commemorative plates. I do. Um, but uh, you know that the There was some uproar. Even you know, (laughs) she's American. She's black. Yeah, and I don't like that. I'm talking about them having a problem with it. Yeah, but if you see things from their side, you know, it's it. You could even be against it and not be racist. Mm -hmm. You could just think that that's a bloodline that needs to be kept pure. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid. That because that means nothing. I don't believe that royals should exist at all. But to them, that's a that's a part of their culture. So you know, seeing it from a non-racist point of view is a thing that was seen. This is seen by them as a racist point of view that he is less and that she's a royal bloodline. And to sully that bloodline with his bastard half children, half elf children is not well, quarter elf children would not be a good thing. So cause a little bit of a dust up. Um, I do like this. A bit though. of kerfuffle. Uh, the description of Laura is one of my favorite things in, in all of the books. Quote, the elves parted and out of their midst came an elf maiden who walked forward to stand beside the speaker. At the sight of her, Caramon's mouth sagged open. Riverwind's eyes widened. Even Raceland stared, his eyes seeing beauty at last, for no hint of decay touched the young elf maiden. That's one of my favorite things. She is so young and beautiful as an elf maiden that even Raceland can't see her decaying as he sees everything else decaying her hair was honey pouring from a pitcher it spilled over her arms and down her back past her waist touching her wrists as she stood with her arms at her sides. her skin was smooth and woodland brown i always um thought that was kind of a, a neat thing is that the elves the elves in uh lord of the rings seem to be universally alabaster you know they're very white group and this some of them are brown they're not you know it would be a different kind of brown than we're used to but they you know it'd be kind of a Cool thing. She had the delicate, refined features of the elves, but these were combined with full, pouting lips and large liquid eyes that changed color like leaves and flickering sunshine. On my honor as a knight, Sturm said with a catch in his voice, I have never seen any woman so lovely. Nor will you in this world, Tannis tennis murmured. Um, all of them touched by her beauty. Um, the one that's touched by her, but not in a good way, and I always th- felt this developed the character of Tika really well, Is is... Is Tika is feels out of her elf, out of her element now. She's around all these elf women who are decidedly not buxom. You know they're they're muscular and lithe and beautiful. They'd be a lot like fashion models. And then you have a woman who's beautiful. Tika is extremely beautiful, but she's you know thick and busty, and she's just a really like a really sensual built woman. You know. So and this gets to her. Quote all Tika knew that was looking at Lorana, she felt suddenly dumpy and half-dressed freckled and redheaded she tugged her blouse up higher over her full bosom wishing it didn't reveal quite so much or that she had less to reveal i always felt really bad for her at that point um tasselhoff in his inimitable way inim- inimitable makes it worse "Quote: She is pretty," Taz said. "Different from you, Tika. She's slender and she walks like a tree bending in the wind." And oh, shut up, Tika! snapped furiously, giving Taz a, Taz a shove that nearly knocked him down. So he's—he wasn't trying to say she's ugly. He was just trying to point out their difference. You know, he would have—he's not mean. He loves Tika too and he thinks Tika's beautiful. Um,
1: Sometimes it's just best to be
0: quiet. Yeah, but he's not—he's not good at that. Um, one thing that, uh, happens at the end of this whole thing is when she's taking them away to stay in the get in their rooms and stuff, she flashes tan- Tannis look. So the plot thickens with that. Um, always, uh, Lorana is then in- in given more description. Um, she's the perfect, perfect Royal daughter. She would be Kate Middleton on steroids. She's gorgeous and stately and, you know, all those things. Um, quote Lorana was a perfect charming hostess. She made certain everyone was seated and comfortable, speaking a few few words to each of them. Flint fly fire forges it? she said, the dwarf flush with pleasure. I still have some of the wonderful toys you made me. We have missed the use these many years. They actually put that in that uh, prequel book, which was one of my favorite parts of the book. He has a like I said, he had a big sack of wooden toys he'd bring it to the all the kids playing and give them toys, which and he acted like he didn't want to do it, and he just they were things he' was going to throw throw away typical flint, but then he loved it, you know so um, then her and Tika have a nice uh, Exchange um, Quote You're Tika Laron- You're Tika Lorana asked Stopping by the barmaid Tika way on the girl Said huskily Tika what a pretty name And what beautiful hair you have Lorana said Reaching out to touch The bouncy red curls Admiringly Do you think so Tika asked Blushing seeing Carmen's eyes on her Of course it's a color of flame You must have a spirit to match Heard I heard how you saved My brother's life in the end Tika I'm deeply indebted to you um, Then we have the The reunion of uh, Tannis Tannis and uh, Lorana um, they st- they're speaking in Elvin. Um, she doesn't like his beard, but in a teasing way, she's like, I want you to shave it off. And, um, she's still in love with him, but he, you have to understand Tannis has been outside of Qualinus by this time and he's fallen in love with, the, with it. The, I think they make this a little bit too on the nose that his his blood splits him into two different women. He loves an elf woman and he loves a human woman, Kittyara, and they could not be more opposite. You know, Kittyara is tall, strong, dark headed, short hair, warrior lady, hot as shit, but still the warrior lady, and she's not a lady. You know, she's decidedly not a lady. Like they really get into that later on. How much? I think they actually went a little too hard with that with her sometimes. A bit of a tramp, yes. <laughs> like just anybody. I was like, um. You know... a kind of gal. Yeah. What a, what a, good, a, what a good kid. kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tannis has a uh, nice passage about how she was trying to bring up their childhood together. Quote, That was a long time ago, Tannis said. We were children, then playing a game. Nothing more. It was a romantic a secret to share. You know what would have happened if your father had found out? Gilton found out, didn't he? Of course, she... You know, um, she told Gildanus, and that's why Gildanus hates Tannis now, but I don't think Guilthiness let on that he was really at that angry at Tannis, because he knew that would hurt Lorana, so. Um, Lorana thinks that uh, he's come back to marry her. That's just not the case. He's come back because they're in the middle of this quest with the Discs of Mishikol Mich- and all this stuff going on. Um, he ha- he wears her ring still. That ring that uh, that Tasselhoff had earlier in his in his things that He wouldn't have taken off Tannis's finger, but if Tannis laid it down, he would have picked it up. You know, just being curious about it. Um, Then he tells her about uh, Kittyara, and Tannis Tasselhoff actually had been um, had been eavesdropping. He didn't really mean to. I guess he was curious about what was going on. See, they never ease. Kinder never eavesdropped to be to gain advantage. They do it because they're just you know unquenchingly. rascals curious they're so curious about everything so um let's see T- and then she after uh tannis releases her from their betrothal she takes a ring and flings it at him flings it out into the bushes and Tessoff picks it up um the is actually happy to hear this because tannis comes back and tells Gilthanus what happened um and i always felt you know y- they set Gilfinus especially up to not be liked you know he's not a he's not a bad elf like his brother a bad guy, you know, they just, it's just, you know, people, different people in different cultures clashing and then them feeling what they should do and all those things. I being raised to believe this the whole lives. Um, then we come into, um, they're going to have a feast to, to welcome all these people, these outsiders into Qualinus, but it turns out it's like an, it, it's one of the more sad parts of the book. They start, the elves start to sing a song and, um, it's, it's very sad. Um, The Elven Feast was held in the courtyard just south of the Great Golden Tower. There were no walls about the platform of crystal and marble which sat atop the highest hill in Qualynost, offering an unobstructed view of the glittering city below, the dark forest beyond, and even the deep purple edge of the Tharkadan Mountains far to the south. But the beauty was lost on those in attendance, or made more poignant by the knowledge that soon it would be gone forever." Goldboon sat at the right hand of the speaker. He tried to make polite polite conversation, but eventually his worries and concerns overwhelmed, and he fell silent. Um, Tannis is uncomfortable because Laurana's staring at him, and that's making Gilthinous glare at him. You know, just this, you can't, it's like a Thanksgiving with people you just don't get along with, you know. Um, Tika, again, feeling awkward and graceful, uh, awkward, awkward around the graceful elven women and all that stuff. Um... Karaman hates what they eat because basically they're vegetarians and he can't get a good slab of meat. So um, um, then they begin to sing. And this is when it gets sad. Quote, began to sing. The elven words flowed into a melody, melody delicate, beautiful. As he sang, Gylthinus... Held a small crystal lamp in both hands. The candlelight within illuminated his marble features. Tannis listening to his song, closed his eyes. Sang it. Head sank into his hands. What is it? What do the words mean? Sturman softly. Tannis raised his head, his voice breaking, he whispered. Now, I'm not going to do the, the words of the song, but um, they, they all take up this melody. And then all of a sudden they see from the forest, or surrounding around Qualnost, all these lanterns coming towards him. Quote, points of flickering lantern light spread from the courtyard like ripples in a calm, still calm pond through the trees into the forest and beyond. And with each lamp lit, another voice ra- was raised in song into the surrounding forest as helped him to sing with despair. Can you imagine how beautiful a sight that would be and how heartbreaking? I mean, these people who all of them can sing. There's not an elf who can't sing. So, but their voices would be able to register both above and below ours. So it's going to be otherworldly when you hear them sing. Kind of... Eerie and unnerving in a good way, you know, so um, but then uh, here's where the really sad parts had. quote Jolthanus's voice died away with a gentle breath. he blew out the f- flame of the l- flame of his lamp one by one, as they had started, the others around the table ended the song and blew out their candles all through Qualanonos. The voices hushed, and the flames were extinguished until it seemed that the silence and darkness swept over the land at the very end. only the distant mountains returned the final chord of the song like the whispering of leaves falling to the ground. <laughs> That was basically their farewell to their homeland right before this big meeting, and they knew that the big meeting would end with them having to leave. Um, They come to this big map. Remember the map on uh, Game of Thrones? That It's like this, only it's much larger, and it's done by elven hands with jewelers and all that stuff, and it's thousands of years old, so you can imagine the beauty of it. Um, Tasselhoff sees solace and points it out, and then the the speaker said, yeah, that's solace, and, you know, it's uh, always liked. Um, then they're talking about um, defenses of Kuala um, Then the plan emerges, that what they want to do, the plan is to go and pack Starcast. The women, children, and, and men are being held separately. The men are in the mines. The women are held without their children. The children are in a, you know, a secluded area themselves. I always felt like for an evil group of people that the prisoners they kept were well-kept you know the children aren't killed out of hand you know that's the thing about fantasy we were talking about fantasy th- that is something better than the world we're in no matter how evil a character is it seems they can't they can kill a child but that's like a rat last resort nazis killed children as a matter of course you know they just didn't care so just what they did right i mean they were they were so you know enamored with hitler's words that they just didn't they that these people weren't people so um, they get into an argument. Um, what the elves want them to do is that they want the humans to, and I would be pissed too. They want the humans to the char, uh, gra- dragon armies to chase them into the mountains. And then the elves will slip by him, you know? And then of course, Riverwind stands up quote. And what of the humans? Then Riverwind asked harshly. Sees seems to me you throw them to the dragon armies as a desperate man throws the hunks of meat to s- pursuing wolves. Um, But then it's, you know, the, the, um, I think it's gilthiness says that, you know, well, they can choose to fight and die or they can die. He said they're going to die anyway because they're in the mines they're eventually going to be killed. So then that's actually a decent point. I still felt it was kind of a shitty thing. Um, let's see. A little bit silence here because then uh, another flash of uh, Band's, uh coming out of his... Basically, it's a front. Um, he says he's going to go with them to this... Uh, basically they're, what they're going to do is there's something called a Sla Mori. It's a secret way through Kuala into Pax Tharcas. Pax Tharcas, of course, was built with, with elves. So they would put a secret me- passage into it from, to, from their homeland as the dwarves probably did from their homeland. So, you know, what they're going to do is follow this who no re- no human in the dragon armies, of course, don't know about. And then into Pax Tharcas to free, to free everybody and do, you know, to see what they can do about the dragon armies. Um, Tannis tries to get everybody to not go, and then they, of course, as any, you know, in any fantasy or science fiction, you can't go. He's like, oh, we're going with you. We're friends, you know, back in out uh, All to adventure. Right. Basically, yeah, that's, that's really what it is. Um, but then Fizban speaks up and he says he's going, and then Tannis tries to tell him no, and here's what happens. Quote, wait a minute, old one, Tannis said sternly, you are not one of us. You're definitely going with the elves, because the elves are now leaving Qualonost. "'Am I?' the old mage asked softly as his eyes lost their vague, unfocused look. He stared at Tannis with such a penetrating, almost menacing gaze that the half-elf involuntarily took a step back, suddenly sensing an almost palpable aura of power surrounding the old man. His voice was soft and intense. "'I go where I choose in this world, and I choose to go with you, Tannis, half-elven.' Raiceland glanced at Tannis as if to say, "'Now you understand. Tannis, irresolute, returned the glance.' He regretted putting off discussing this with Raiceland, but wondered how they could confer now, knowing the old man would not leave." Um, then him and Rayson go off and talk in this thing called Camp Talk, which is mercenaries use it. It's like a a shorthand language, um, and they discuss Fizban. It's like you know, you feel how powerful he is. I wonder who he actually is. So um, then there's this. Um, hold on, I've got my notes. Then they start to suspect guiltiness in this. Um, some people suspect him, and you know, for portraying him. I never quite got it. They don't make it a. Um, they don't make a very good case for it, of course. Um, and everybody starts turning their finger on who can be trusted with who. Everybody starts um, yelling at each other. Um, they start to discuss the Slamori. and then um, they're laying down for the night after they've decided, decided what they're going to do. Um, then Tannis is asleep and. Uh, he has an encounter quote tanis awoke with a start his hand on the dagger at his belt a dark shape crouched over him in the night blotting out the stars overhead reaching up quickly he grabbed hold of him and yanked the person down across his body putting his dagger to the exposed throat uh, it's lorana um she'd come out to see him before they were all going to go away so quote her body was pressed against his he could feel her trembling and now that he was fully awake he could see the long hair flowing loosely about her shoulders she was dressed only in a flimsy nightdress her cloak had fallen off in the brief struggle um Of course, he's going to be, I mean, she's otherworldly hot, and she's into this schlub. (laughs) He's not a schlub, I'm kidding, but, quote, For an instant, when she lay on top of him, he was acutely conscious only the smell of her hair, the warmth of her slender body, the play of the muscles in her thighs, the softness of her small breasts. Lorana had been a girl when he left. He he returned to find a woman, a very beautiful, desirable woman. Um, she's to come to try to convince him to come with the elves and not throw his life away because she loves him. Um... Then I I like this because then it has uh, a little bit from Lorana's point of view, which I I thought was she's a great character. I always liked her very much. Uh, Quote, Lorana stood up and walked swiftly from the grove, flitting among the streets and buildings like the wind among the aspens. Sneaking past the guards to get back inside her father's dwelling was simple. She and Gelfanus had been doing it since childhood. Returning quietly to her room, she stood outside her father's and mother's door for a moment, listening. There was light inside. She could hear parchment rustling, smell an acrid odor. Her father was burning papers. She heard her mother's soft murmur, calling her father to bed. Lorna closed her eyes for a moment in silent agony. Then her tight, her lips tightened in firm resolve, and she ran down the dark, chill hallway to her bedchamber. Uh, then they're getting ready the next day um, to go on this big trip, and the people are going to have to be um outfitted um i thought this was a nice uh, part because the elves give tika a suit of armor um it's, mism- it's mismatched but it's you know elves made it so of course it's beautiful um quote elves soon return with armor of every make and description for tika and a lightweight short sword favored by the elven women tika's eyes glowed when she saw the helm and shield both were of elvish design tooled and decorated with jewels Gilthinus took the helm and, helm and shield from the elf. I have yet to thank you for saving my life in the end, he said to take it. Accept these. They were my mother's ceremonial armor dating back to the time of the Kinslayer Wars. That is a deep, deep... That is, the, the Kinslayer Wars were the split of the of the Sylvanesti Silvan and Quelnesti into two different nations. Um, so that's... You can imagine the, the depths of history that's from. These these would have gone to my sister, but Lorana and I both know you are the proper owner. Um... <laughs> I always thought there was you know they they're now playing up the uh the growing romance between tika and Karaman. uh she didn't know what to put it how to put it on and tana said he'd help i mean Karaman said he'd help um gold moon uh intervenes and says um you know she'd help uh depriving him of the the joy of uh of uh clothing i mean uh, armoring tika because she'd have to be almost naked um we actually get a description of tika which is a good one um Uh, Caramon is trying to teach her how to use a sword that's not going well. Quote Caramon walked beside Tika, resplendent in her mismatched armors, instructing her on the use of her sword. Unfortunately, the teacher was having a bad time of it gold moon and slit Tika's red barmaid skirt up to her thighs for easier movement. Bits of fluffy white from Tika's fur trimmed undergarments peeped enticingly through the slits. Her legs were visible as she walked, and the girl's legs were just as Karaman had always imagined, round and well-formed. Thus, Karaman found it res- rather difficult to concentrate on his lesson. Absorbed in his pupil, he didn't notice that his brothers disappeared. Then we get the, you know, the almost not by now by rote uh, distrust of raceland they think he's run off you know this is i I always felt that this part of the book they didn't need this um it was they're trying to figure there's a spy inside and all that stuff they could have done without the spy business it could have been a straight let's go in get this done you know all that stuff but they don't so um anyway uh then um it's discovered that somebody's following them um, they don't know who, but you know more more suspicion. Um, then they happen upon um, the site of a battle. Quote: The clearing was the site of a recent bloody fight. Bodies of men and goblins lay scattered about in the obscene postures of brutal death. The companions looked about fearfully and listened for long moments, but could hear nothing above the roar of the water. Um, they see some um, some movement from the pile and alone. And we're back. Had a little bit of difficulty there. We were... Now,
1: exactly what I said would happen happened. The power went out, and I said, well, I can hook up my other my audio box, and we can we can do that. And as soon as I right. got everything hooked up and ready to go... The power came back Fucking on. goddamn power right. came back on.
0: It knew. Um, we had just come to where they had found the uh, the companions heading to Pax Tharkaz, or the Slamorian to pa- Pax Tharkaz have found uh, the site of a battle, and there's a guy still alive in it, so... The introduction of this fairly throwaway character. Um, I'm just going to cut to the chase. This guy is the uh, traitor in the whole thing, and it was pretty obvious from go. So, you know, not revealing anything. Quote, the group gathered around to examine the man. He wore chain mail that was of a good quality, if rather tarnished. His clothes were rich, though the cloth had worn thin in places. He appeared to be in his late 30s. His hair was thick and black, his chin firm, and his features regular. He seems to be pretty Joe average the stranger opened his eyes and stared at the companions blearily i think of him he might be kind of like a james Marsden type character um handsome yeah but forgettable exactly um you'll see him in lots of stuff <laughs> right this guy's name is eben eben was uh, uh had fought with us before they know each other um but then as they're you know they're figuring out what's going on suddenly duh, 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 hob, uh, draconians uh quote carwin whipped around whipped around letting Eben fall back with a groan the others turned to see 12 draconians standing at the edge of the clearing weapons drawn i still think that they should have saved draconians as more serious troops when you're going against draconians you're you're fucked basically they for this i always thought they should have done goblins or hobgoblins or you know some kind of evil race that's not you know because then you the chi it cheapens that 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 group of creatures who are supposed to be terrifying you know I, I just never i mean i they make it work later like they actually do that later kind of and then uh, in later books there's a group of draconians who tr- who dis- rediscover their true their good nature and are now breeding true as good good creatures which i thought was kind of a nice thing um turns out nobody was supposed to know about this path to the slamori um and what blah 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 whatever um then we have a fight uh starting of course uh <laughs> Fiz band, quote fizzban standing here at the edge of the woods pulled something from his pouch and began to mumble a few words this is after everybody started to go into the fight and stuff i just thought it was a and fizz always uh quite entertaining quote not fireball race on hiss grabbing the old mage's arm you'll incinerate everyone out there oh really i suppose you're right the old man sighed in disappointment then brightened wait i'll think of something else and then, uh, Reisland tells him to stay undercover. But, um, the interesting thing that happens in this fight is this is Tika's first fight. So, you know, that we go into that quote Tika, her new sword drawn and ready, trembled with fear and excitement. One draconian rushed her and she swung a tremendous blow. The blade missed the draconian by a mile. Karaman's head by inches pulling Tika behind him. He knocked the dra- draconian down with the flat of his sword before it could rise. He stepped on his throat, breaking his neck. Sometimes you realize what a beast uh, of Karaman is. Um, then Caramon basically tells her to be a good girl and um he actually said there's a good girl run to run over to the trees with the old man and gold is what he tells her so she gets mad um you get a nice description of her seeing uh how all these companions fight together quote two more, two more draconians charged caramon but his brother was beside him now the two combining magic and steel to destroy their enemy that would be a really cool thing to see in a show like him throwing a spell out and caramon swinging his sword and like working around each other and not and knowing exactly where the other one is because they're twins all that stuff that would be like a cool action thing to see on a show i always thought so um Tegan knew she would only get in their way, and she feared Rayson's anger more than she feared Draconians. She looked around to see if anyone needed her help. Sturm and, Fannis, Sturm and Tannis fought side by side. Yolthinus made an unlikely team with Flint. I always like that. Uh, while Tassahoff, as Hupec, planted solidly in the ground, sent a deadly barrage of rocks whizzing onto the field. Goldman stood beneath the trees, river went near her. The old magician had pulled out a spellbook and was flipping through the pages. Webb, Webb, how did that go? He mumbled. Um, then, uh, Another draconian rushes Tika And then she actually gets in Kind of into the shit here Um, Whirling around she dropped her sword in alarm As the draconian laughing horribly Launched itself into, into the air straight at her Panic stricken Tika gripped her shield in both hands And struck the draconian in its hideous reptilian face The impact nearly jarred the shield from her hands But it knocked the creature out onto its back unconscious Tika picked up her sword and grimacing in disgust Stabbed the creature through the heart Its body immediately turned to stone Encasing her sword Tika yanked at it but it remained stuck fast Tika, to your left, yelled Tessal shrilly. Tika stumbled around and saw another draconian. Swinging her shield, she blocked its sword thrust. Then with a the strength born of terror, she hit the creature again and again with her shield, knowing only that she had to kill the thing. She kept passing until she felt a hand on her arm. Whipping around her bloodstained shield ready, she saw Karaman. It's all right, the big warrior said soothingly. It's all over, Tika. They're all dead. You did fine. Just fine. Um, then we get uh, the first real romantic moment between these two, uh, which, as I've said... In later books, is uh, really a, a, a very touching and beautiful relationship, but they have to go through a lot of shit. Um, Tika is so excited by the battle, I suppose, that she uh, she kind of goes at him. Quote, Tika looked up into Karaman's eyes. Her terror melted away, replaced by exultation. She pressed against Karaman. The feel of his hard muscles, the smell of sweat mingled with leather, increased her excitement. Tika flung her arms around his neck and kissed him with such violence her teeth bit into his lip. She tasted blood in her mouth. Carriman astonished felt the tingle of pain, an odd contrast to the softness of her lips, and was overwhelmed with desire. He wanted this more than any, wanted this woman more than any other woman, and there had been many in his life. I like that the fact that they tell you that Carriman is a man whore, um, big strapping guy, and this sucks that D around son. Yeah. <laughs> um, it gets broken up by um, Raceland standing in and basically looking at him like. You guys are going to fuck in the middle of this battle. You know what's wrong with you. So um, then we have another th- exchange between um, Giltinus and Eban. They're, they're kind of... this Again, this whole storyline really started to get on my nerves after a while. I'm like, uh, we know who the fucking traitor is, man. It's this guy who appeared out of nowhere. This du sex machina coming out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like He might as well have just said stock trader character on his fucking forehead you know uh, uh you know but anyway uh, it doesn't make me love the book any less. It actually loves it makes me love it more then we get a nice um his name is Eben shatterstone by the way um great name that is a great name i'm, I'm kind of upset he's, he is a throwaway character because that is shatterstone is just a cool cool name anyway but then we have another great Fizzband moment quote that's it cried fizz i remembered suddenly there was filled with strands of sticky floating cobweb after the battle, he decides to cast a spell. Now everybody's covered in it. Um, then um, they finally come to where they're seeing the Pax tharkas is built on built on two mountain peaks on the mountain peak. Basically, it's I think it's basically carved out of the mountain. So they come up to and they're looking at it. Um, Quote, take his eyes widen at the sight of the massive twin tower soaring into the sky. I've never seen anything so big. Who built it? They must have been powerful men. It was not men, Flint said, said Flint sadly. The dwarf's beard quivered as he looked at Sarkas with a wif- wistful expression. It was elves and dwarves working together once long ago when times were peaceful. The dwarf speaks truly, Gilthana said. Long ago, long ago, Kith Kanan broke his father's heart and left the ancient home of Sylvanesti. Sil- Kith Kanan was the, uh, a prince of uh, Silvanesti who was One of the major, the most major figure in the uh, Kinslayer Wars that they've they've talked about when the two elven nations split. He and his people came to the beautiful woods given them by the Emperor of Urgoth following the scribing of the sword sheath scroll that ended the Kinslayer Wars. Elves have lived in Qoilnesti for a long century since Kith, Kith Kith Kanan's death. His greatest achievement, however, was the building of Pax Tharkas. I think Pax is obviously, I think that's a that's a pretty standard thing that when you need to give something a name, it's Latin. Basically, you're going to use Latin. You know, a lot of the magic words are Latin. So, um, standing between Elven and Dwarven kingdoms, it was constructed by both in a spirit of sprint- friendship since lost on Kryn. It grieves me to see it now, the bastion of a mighty war machine. This is the base of operations for the for this. Uh, I, th- I think this is the Red Dragon Army. Um, it was the one commanded by Verminard. There are blue dragon armies, and um, I think that's the only two, though. And they were they're differentiated by the kind of dragons that are that fight in each. Like the red dragon army, of course, has red dragons in it, and the blue dragon army has blue dragons, which are pretty cool. We'll get into those later. Um, they are standing outside, and they see uh, some draconians come marching out of um, out of the gates, and then they are heading to the Slamori, um again they find out they're being followed. Um let's see. We have this thing again. I, I marked this to, to to talk about it, but I'm just gonna skim um right over that this relationship with Gilthanus and, and Eben and this whole thing. It's it's completely unnecessary. Um and you know, Eben tries to turn Tannis against Gilthinus, saying this, saying this, you know, saying that. You know, I I can't even really understand what his main motivation would be to betray his own people for what? You know, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Um, They're going to go camp. um, Then they come to the Slamori and then we have a pretty cool magic moment. This magic moment. Um, quote, We are here, he whispered. at Guilthiness. Reaching into his tunic, he removed a small gem that began to glow a soft muted, ye- soft, muted yellow. Running his hand over the rock wall, the elf found what he was searching for, a small niche in the granite. He placed the gem in the niche and began reciting ancient words and tracing unseen symbols in the night air. Very impressive, whispered fizzban I didn't know he was one of us, he said to Raceland. A dabbler, nothing more, the mage replied. Leaning wearily on his staff, he watched Guilthiness intently, however. Suddenly and silently, a huge block of stone separated from the cliff began moving. Slowly to one side The companions backed up As a blast of chill Dank air flowed From the gaping hole In the rock What's in there Cameron asked Suspiciously I do not I do not know What is in there now guilt and Esprilide I've never entered I know only I know this place Only through the lore Of my people uh, Turns out this is The burial place Of Kith Canaan. So um, Then there was A nice exchange here With Raiceland And Flint They Kind of stay To their corners Sometimes But there's a nice uh, Kind of bristling exchange Between them um, quote more spooks flint grumbled peering into the darkness send the mage in first so he can warn them we're coming throw the dwarf in raceland returned. they are accustomed to living in dark dank caves you speak of the mountain dwarves flint said his beard bristling has been long years since the hill dwarves live below the ground in the kingdom of Thorbarden. again you know you have uh the two different groups of dwarves um and they're fighting uh raceland senses great evil um Eben uh suggests going around basically to a side gate and getting in um then they uh they come into the slumori and then um you know the door uh Gelfinus tells tannis to prop the or tannis tells gilthus to prop the door at the last minute to let their pursuer in so they can catch him. um then uh, there's a nice moment where they come in They're they're now in the cave they're deciding which way to go and they're basically going to camp for the night um, another moment with Tika. I think that one of the characters was infatuated with Tika, like the, the creating her, because they like to write about her a lot, especially her more sexual qualities. Um. Quote, opening her pack, she shook out a blanket and lay down, conscious all the while of Karaman's eyes on her. She noticed Eben watching her too. She didn't mind that. She was accustomed, accustomed to men staring at her admiringly. and Eben was handsomer even than Caraman. Certainly his was wittier and more charming than the big warrior. Still, just the memory of Karaman's arms made her around her made her shiver with delightful fear. She per- firmly put the memory for her mind and tried to get comfortable. Um, I like this. It's developing Tika's character really well. They, did, I think, I feel they did that really well, who originally seemed to be kind of a, not a throwaway character, but uh, a side character um, then we have a nice exchange between um gold Moon and Karaman. she's noticed what's going on between the two of them, so she's going to intercede i guess um and she takes him like off to the side quote tannis tells me you have an older sister she stated yes caramon stated answered startled Ara, though she's my half sister yeah, i think i've mentioned that Goldman smiled and laid her hand gently on caramon's arm i'm going to talk to you like an older sister i i kind i really like this because it's very warm you know you get a i don't know how they're able to do that like that's a, as a writer you know they're able to convey such personality between the characters yeah yeah they're kind of they're two dimensional sometimes because it's very early and they've not developed them yet. And it was based around a Dungeons and Dragons adventure, but sometimes they're really able to drive this home with very little. It's called economy of words. You know, they're really able to just give it to you. Um, um then we get a nice sketch of uh, Kittyara from Caramon. Because he replies to her, quote, Not like Kitty Ari, you want, Lady of Quishu. Kit taught me the meaning of every swear word I've ever heard, plus a few I hadn't. She taught me how to use a sword and fight with honor in the tournaments, but she also taught me how to kick a man in the groin when the judges weren't watching. No, lady, you're not much like my older sister. There um, They start to talk about um, Tika. And basically, she tells Karamon that Tika is a virgin. And, uh, and she is. She's one of those girls... You know, the the more developed girls always got a reputation without yeah. doing anything. The it first is,
1: girl who got tits was always a
0: slut. Yeah, and, and that's and that's completely unfair, and this is what's happened to her. Even Caramon thinks that because she's pretty. She works at a bar. What do you think's going to happen? You know, but she's not. Um, I like this that Gold Moon's trying to put uh, stick up for here. Quote. Uh, she's never been with a man before she told me while we were in the grove putting on her armor She's frightened Caramon. She's heard a lot of this a lot of stories. Don't rush her She desperately wants approval from you and she might do anything to win it But don't let her use that as a reason to do something you'll regret later if you truly love her time will prove it and enhance the moment's sweetness and then um, This is something that I uh, talked about earlier gold moon and Riverwind are both virgins They haven't laid with anybody yet though, because you know, that's that's kind of the code. They're their people they don't they're they are definitely sex save sex until marriage group of people and they, and they haven't slept together yet. And they're betrothed. They're doing it after they're married. I kind of like that in a, in a strange way. Um, That's my philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're having a, then a discussion, which you go left or right. Um, they decide to go left because race one says that the evil, the fe- evil feeling he's getting is from the right. Um, then they come to, uh, uh a huge, hold on. Let me think. Um, Walking by the light of the mage's staff, the companions followed the dusty, rock strewn tunnel for several hundred feet, then reached an ancient stone wall rent by a huge hole through which only darkness was visible. Race on small light showed showed faintly the distant walls of a Great Hall. Um, They've come to basically the the, the room where kith Canaan was buried quote before them was a massive throne ornately carved of granite two huge marble statues flanked the throne their sightless eyes staring forward into the darkness the throne they guarded was not empty upon it sat the skeletal remains of what had once been a male of what race none could say death being the great equalizer i, I wonder how they could figure that out uh, the figure was dressed in regal robes that even though faded and decayed still gave evidence of their richness richness a cloak covered the gaunt shoulders a crown gleamed on the fleshless skull the bone hands fingers lying gracefully in death rested on a sheathed sword gilthinus fell to his knees kith canaan he said in a whisper we stand in the hall of the ancients his burial tomb none have seen this sight since the elva vanished in the cataclysm um we get a nice exchange here uh with uh, tasselhoff um quote what a beautiful for for, sword tasselhoff said his shrill voice breaking the reverent silence Tannis glanced at him, glared at him sternly. I'm not going to take it, the kinder protested looking wounded. I just mentioned it as an item of interest. Um, He tells him not to touch it, of course. Uh, It's an an enchanted sword. Raiceland finds out um, they come to two uh, bronze double doors. Um, Then uh, uh, Tessel hears a scraping sound. It's coming from the doors. Um, And uh, Tannis, this is another point where you find out that Kinder have extremely uh, good hearing, and Tass has learned to trust it. So he's starting to freak out a little bit because Tasselhoff can hear something coming. Um, it's basically a giant slug. It's probably some monster from the old 1970s and 80s Dragonlance or Dungeons and Dragons Fiend Folio. all the monsters they have, the monster, you know, the monstrous compendium they used to have with all the monsters in it. This is based on a, on a module that they played through so you know all they did was do the adventure and then they wrote something around it so it was it was a skeleton and then they fleshed it out so that's that's what's happened um it's um it spits uh some liquid turns out it's acidic uh but then um something the plot thickens quote Tantalus, the scream pierced Tannis' concentration, and he halted, turning back to stare in amazement at the entrance to the hall. It was Lorana. At that moment, the slug, sensing the half-elf, spat the the corrosive liquid at him. The saliva struck his sword, causing the metal to fizz and smoke, then dissolve in his hand. The burning liquid ran down his arm, searing his flesh. Tannis, screaming agony, fell to his knees. Um, Like I said, his sword is now useless. They're all trying to fight this thing now, and uh, they're not having much... uh, much success, so Raceland thinks this is a good time for this. Quote, Raceland ran to Fizban's side. Now is the time for the casting of the fireball, old one he panted. It is? Fizban's fa- face filled with delight. Wonderful. How does it go? <laughs> Don't you remember? Uh, Raceland practically shrieked, dragging the mage behind a pillar as, he, as a slug spat another glob of burning saliva into the floor. I used to. Let me see. Fizban's brow furrowed in concentration. Can't you do it? So, um... You know, just another humorous exchange between uh, Fizzban and uh, Um Then they run behind the throne trying to get away from the thing. And uh, Tannis, something pretty crazy happens with Tannis. Quote, his hand reached out, grabbing for a huge rock, anything to hurl at the creature when his fingers closed over the metal hilt of a sword. Tannis nearly dropped the weapon in amazement. The, the metal was so cold it burned his hand. The, glane, the blade greened brightly gleam brightly in the wavering light of the mage's staff. There wasn't time to question, however. Tannis drove the point into the slug's gaping maw, just as the creature swooped in for the kill. Um, that pretty much finishes it off. Um, and he didn't know where he got the sword from. But then here comes uh, Tasselhoff. Quote, I brought you the scabbard, Taz said, holding it up for the sword. Um, they There's an exchange between Gilthinus, Tannis, and Lorana for her um you know putting herself in danger and now all this stuff um lorana wants to be a she's she's been sheltered she's been trained to fight all women elven women are fight but it's largely ceremonial even though uh they can be just as effective fighters as i don't think there's much of course there's going to be some strength difference between elven males and females but i think it's less than it is with humans like the the women are very capable um as warriors. So, um, then we have, uh, Tannis finally gets mad at, uh, Lorana. He hold, hardly ever yells at her because she, he sees her as very fragile, but this time he's reached his end. Um, quote, you are on your own. He told her quietly as arrested up and gathered things. I can't hang around, hang around you, protecting you. Neither can Gilthinus. You've behaved like a spoiled brat. I told you once before, you would better grow up. Now, if you don't, you're going to die and probably get all the rest of us killed right along with you. I thought that was a little harsh. Uh, much. <laughs> yeah. um, and then she she takes it kind of in stride quote I'm sorry Tantalus Laura said avoiding his angry gaze Tantalus of course being his elven name but I couldn't lose you not again I love you her lips tightened and she said softly I'll make you proud of me then um, it turns out uh, Tannis basically tells him that he needed a sword and the and the uh, corpse I guess of Kith Kanan had handed him, handed him the sword Um which I thought was kind of cool. Um, okay. We're getting down now to the, uh, we're coming close to the end game now. They're almost inside the, uh, almost inside Pax Tharkass. Um We have a nice, uh, a nice um, moment of Lorana uh, thinking to herself. Um, I like how they develop characters with, by just giving them like a little passage to uh, some, some exposition, but not, not anything that's too heavy-handed. Quote, Lorana felt fear convulsed her at the limbs as she clung to the wall for support. She longed for Tannis to comfort her and protected her, as he had done when they were younger and facing imaginary foes, but he walked to the head of the line with her brother. Each had his own fear to contend with. At that moment, Lorana decided that she would die before she asked for their help. It occurred to her then that she was really serious when she said she wanted to make Tannis proud of her. Showing herself away from the side of the crumbling tunnel, she gritted her teeth and moved forward. Um... They're now coming into a narrow chamber. Um, They come to a door. There's carving on the doors. It's the royal crest, Um, and turns out these are the crypt or the royal guard. That's not a good thing Um, because Elvin, Elvin, I don't know why this is. I don't know why they'd have undead guarding their tombs, whatever. Because that seems to be an evil thing. But that, but these creatures are, um, these creatures are dangerous. You know, they're 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 going to kill you for invading the you know, they're dead elves basically and ghosts. So, um, they're all freaking out because these are things are, you know, like the dead and dark and wood and they're trying to run away. And then we have another fizzband moment quote, Oh, call, Oh, calm down. The old man muttered young people alarmists. He turned around and helped someone answer. It was gold moon, her hair gleaming in the light and her medallion begins to glow. So, um, then we get a moment with, uh, I love all these moments with fizzban like he is he is such a brief thing about this character they brought this character into another whole other world that is not Dragonlance it's not Kryn it's we'll, we'll get into those books too which I think you are especially going to love called the Deathgate Cycle and it's the titles already got me it's it, they're good like it's elves and dwarves and all that stuff but it's in these wildly different worlds and the most powerful creatures in it are humans but they're not humans you have the Sartan who sing and trace their music in the air or their magic in the air. And then you have the patrons who are tattooed and they connect them to do their magic. Equally as powerful, but they and it's magic of probability. You know, it's really cool. Um Fizzband is are is in those books, but do because they were written up for another company, Wizards of the Coast, being the assholes that they are, threw a big fit, so they had to change his name to Zifnab. And it was But he's just just as good in those books, maybe even better than than he's because he does a lot of fourth wall breaking in those. So um, I can't wait to get to those. Um, But then you have him speaking again to uh, revealing kind of his nature more. Quote, you're a good man. Tennis Elvin, the old maid said softly, but you worry too much. Now, just relax and let us send these poor souls back to their sleep. Bring the others along, will you? And then he basically um, dismisses them, dismisses these creatures um then there's another set of bronze doors um and they come into this column room uh 20 23 columns supporting the ceiling um flint is really uh an in him because it is dwarven work so he's looking at it um turns out they they come to the end of the chamber it's a false door um and that causes a nice exchange um quote looks real to me Carolyn said staring at the door suspiciously it's even got hinges of course of course it does flint snorted we don't build false doors to look false even a gully dwarf knows that so uh so they're basically at a dead end um turns out the wall is enchanted um raceland speaks some words and and the whole wall swings open and this is the first book he's used from the spell of fist and analyst from the spell book which is a pretty powerful spell. So you can see he's growing in power. Um, Fizband says something about using fireball to open the door again, and they have to talk him out of it. Um, then they come into a... Uh, another chamber see this is all here here we get into this thing where i have to go this then this then this it's because it's a dungeons and dragons adventure and it's a module and they have to keep going from chamber to chamber and they just have to describe what's going on so uh i'm sorry for that for a little bit but you know it's necessary you didn't um, write it exactly well i mean it's all right to read but when somebody's you know trying to i have to tell you what's going on so i have to keep doing that um then uh th- there's in the call in the center of the room there's a, another big column and uh we get this quote a crooked column test said giggling look flint the dwarves built a crooked column if they did they had a good reason the dwarf snapped shoving kinder aside to examine the tall thin column it definitely slanted hmm said flint said flint puzzled then it then it isn't a column wall, a column at all, you doorknob. It's a great huge chain. Look, you can see it's hooked to an iron bracket on the floor. This is the chain room and it's the defense mechanism of Pax Tharkass. The chain comes down, it blocks everything, it pulls like these giant boulders down where you can't, you know, get into it. Um, uh, Gelfinus understands how it works, so does Flint. Um, then they come to another door, of course. Um, but then something happens that, this one seemed out of place to me. Um, it just, it's an interesting part, but it just seemed kind of out of place. Um, I think it was a random encounter in the module. So they had to put it in the book. Um, they found the treasure room of Kith Kanan and, um, all of a sudden he, this, this dark thing coalesces in the middle of the room. It's a dark elf, spirit of a dark elf. So, um, Raistlin says, um, yeah, run. There's a description of the, uh, of the, the dro as you would call it. Um, Quote Even as they fell back, the darkness in the river treasure room took shape, coalescing into the coldly beautiful, distorted features of female Dro, an evil elf of ages past, whose punishment for crimes is speakable, been execution. Then the powerful elven magic users chained her spirit, forcing her to guard forever the king's treasure. At the sight of these living beings, she stretched out her hands, craving the warp of flesh, and opened her mouth to scream out her grief and her hatred of all living things. Uh, she touches Eben on the cheek. He collapses, screaming. They're trying to get away from her. They're trying to get to close the door. Uh, and then uh, Race basically stands in front of him and is going to stop her himself. And then we have a nice part with him. Um, he, you know, he this is going to be might beyond his powers, but you know, he finds his strength inside. We'll find out later on where he gets this from. But quote. Uh he struggled to blot out the evil memory of the battle that wrecked his body and came close to destroying his mind but he felt himself losing control he had forgotten the words the door trembled the elf was coming through then from somewhere inside the mage came a strength he had discovered within himself only twice before in the tower tower of high sorcery and on the altar of the black dragon and zaxaroth that was a very good part i thought of the book um the familiar voice that he could hear clearly in his mind yet never identify spoke to him repeating the words of the spell race shouted them along in a strong clear voice that was not his own uh, door holds racing collapses um but then they uh come to another uh, chamber and now they're in the basement of pax tharkas um but in the in all the confusion the tasselhoff and Fizzban get lost together so now we have um he starts to they they, they start to climb the chain now him and Fizzban. um and then uh an amusement um, uh, an amusing part happens where Fizzban creates this glowing puffball um again it's probably a spell from you know some from dungeon dragon somewhere um quote Apparently he found what he was searching for Because he soon gave a little crow of triumph He was sp- fumbling in his pouches by the way Spoke a few words and a small puffball bluish yellow flame appeared hovering near the magician's hat The glowing puffball whizzed up Danced around Taz office Hoffa's to inspect the kender, Then returned to the proud magician Taz was enchanted He asked all sorts of questions regarding The wonderful flaming puffball But his arms were getting shaky and the old magician Was nearly done in He knew they had better find some way to get off this chain um, Now they're climbing up Um into the fortress on this chain, I think, as we'll find out later, this might have been by design, uh, you know, by Fizzban's design. Um, more humorous uh, things about the Puffball, uh, Fizzban. Uh, the the Puffball's not doing what he says. So, quote, "No discipline in the younger generation." Fizzban grumbled. His father. Now there was a Puffball. The old magician's voice died away as he began to climb again. The Puffball flame hovering, hovering near the top of his hat. And it turns out, uh, as they come up there, they come to a tunnel, and the puffball was afraid of the dark. Would we'll not go in there. So, the <laughs> um, of course, that makes Tasselhoff delighted because it's such a curious thing. "Quote: My goodness, how remarkable!" The kinder said in astonishment. Um, and then he, uh, they're at the top where the, where the axle is. Um, and um, the old man has left his staff at the bottom of the chain. Um, let's see. Now they've come into the the uh, mechanism room with the giant boulders in there, and as they sit down to eat because they they're a little bit tired. Uh, <laughs> I just I don't know. I mean, I always find this stuff so funny, even as a 43-year-old man, you know. Quote, "'Taz sat down to next to the mage "'and began to nibble on his own bit of dried fruit. "'Then he'd sniffed. "'There was suddenly a very peculiar smell "'like someone burning old socks. "'Looking up, he sighed and tugged on the magician's robe.' Uh, Fizban, he said, your hat's on fire. The puffball has come setting near his hat and set it on fire. Um, then we have a nice exchange, because they, what they do is they work back and forth. The other companions are now up in the pack, Starcas, and Tasselhoff and Fizban are by themselves. Flint, of course, is beside himself, because Tasselhoff is da- in danger, and he's not around there to protect him. Although, he just calls him a doorknob, basically, and gets mad at him for... You know, being stupid, whatever. Um, but we have a nice, um, another description of Tannis, I mean, of Tasselhoff from other people's point of view. Um, Other than the fact that, uh, well, I'll just read the whole thing. Quote The dwarf wiped his hand across his eyes, glared at Tannis, then whirled on his heel and and stumped back to a corner where he hurled himself onto the floor, sulking. Tannis sat back back down. He knew how Flint felt. It seemed odd. There had been so many times he could happily have strangled the Kinder, but now that he was gone, Tannis missed him, and for exactly the same reasons. There was an innate, unfailing cheerfulness about Tasselhoff that made him an invaluable companion. No danger ever frightened a Kinder, and therefore Taz never gave up. He was never at a loss for something to do in an emergency. might not be always be the right thing but at least he was ready to act Tannis smiled sadly i only hope this emerging doesn't prove be to prove to be his last um then we have more of the uh thing where he's studying a map and you know he's suspected all that stuff in eban um they start discussing where uh Verminard is with his dragon it's in this particular room um eban accuses gilthiness of knowing a lot about pax Stark as it always occurred to me it's like well yeah that's his business and it's an elven it's an elven thing why wouldn't he know about it you know what i mean it's just more um you know more discussion of you know traitors um and it turns out that gold moon knows that verminard knows she's there like it's a, almost a jedi type thing I, I think is kind of the intimation um quote gold moon said remember there are two constellations missing one was the queen of darkness from what little i've been able to understand on the disc of Mishikal, the queen was also one of the ancient gods the gods of good are matched by the gods of evil with the gods of neutrality striving to keep the balance remember how we talked about the balance in this world verminard worships the queen of darkness as i worship as i worship Mishikal. that is what Mishikal meant when she said we were, were to restore the balance the promise of good that i bring is one thing he fears and he exerting all his will to find me um, so basically, she, she's saying she's putting the mission in danger a la Luke Skywalker going on to the, uh, going on to Endor because Vader could sense him. Um, they start talking about, um, you know what happens in Pax as The women are taken out, you know, to exercise. I guess, which is weird. I'm like, these are, these are, they're treating them remarkably well for an evil guy. You know what I mean? It's fantasy. So again, the evil people in this world, even though they do they sometimes do awful things, are far less evil than the people in our world. Um, then we get back to uh, Tasso Hoff and uh, see one thing that bothered me about this book is that it was not uh, printed right, so there should be a gap between the two different parts the or even sometimes i'll put a little symbol on, on fantasy books between differing points you know they didn't do that with this and um sometimes it kind of um it kind of throws you off some but uh but tasselhoff and fizz Band are in the mechanism room um and then they have climbed up um find a room uh just a uh so it looks like an art room um uh, quote, an ordained throne stood at the at one end of the room. Rare and priceless silver mirrors hung on the walls rained so cunningly that no matter where a trembling captive turned, the only image he saw was the grotesque horned helmet of the dragon High Lord glowing at him. That must be him, Taz whispered to Fizban. That must be Lord Verminard. The kindred sucked in his breath in awe. That must be his dragon, Ember, the one has told us about that killed all the elves in Solace. Then when we have an introduction to Ember, or his secret dragon Dragon name being Pyros, I always... Uh, Thought he was a cool character. Um, It's uh, as all the dragons are, they're intelligent, so you get to hear get something from their point of view. "Quote: Ember or Pyros, his true name being a secret known only to draconians or to other dragons, never to common mortals, was an ancient, enormous red dragon. Pyros had been had been given to Lord Verminard ostensibly as a reward from the Queen of Darkness to her cleric. In reality, Pyros was sent to keep a watchful eye on Verminard, who developed a strange paranoid fear regarding discovery of the true gods. I don't think that's either strange or paranoid." I mean i would think that the all these you know dragons and gods and stuff would know that he was right um and then we're in, we're introduced finally to another concept that i that they kind of snuck in there and i never quite got i mean i got it later on because it is kind of secret but there it turns out they're uh seeking this guy called the Everman, the green gemstone man um I always that was kind of like a thrown in plot point as i said but um quote pyros mission was to search this part of Ancelon for one man a man of many names the queen of darkness called him Everman. the dragons called him green gemstone man his na- human name was barum and it was because of this unceasing search for the human barum they didn't really need to say barum again that pyros was present in verminard's chamber this afternoon when he would have much preferred to be napping in his lair um I, I, one of the i like this exchange between verminard and and keep in mind that vermin uh, that Py, uh ember or pyros is in his dragon form so he's gigantic i think that uh red dragons are second only to gold dragons in size like and not by much they're 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 like as we've said before for each evil dragon there is a good dragon that reflects them you know so you have gold for red um silver for blue you know all that stuff so um i I always like this uh he but they're so powerful magically and he i like this um they get in, he, Ember, or Pyrus accidentally knocks over a vase or something and uh, with his tail, so Verminar gets mad. Quote, transform yourself before you wreck the place, he snarled. Pyrus opened one eye, regarded Verminar curtly for a moment, then grudgingly rumbled a brief word of magic. The gigantic red dragon began to shimmer like a mirage, the monstrous dragon's shape condensing into the shape of a human male, slight of build with dark black hair, a thin face, and slanting red eyes. Dressed in crimson robes, Pyrus the Man walked to a desk near Verminard's throne. Sitting down, he folded his hands and stared at Verminard's broad, muscled back with undisguised loathing. Um, then Master Toad shows up. Remember the Hobgoblin guy from solace how this guy ever got a fucking job in this in this army i will never know he seems to be quite the bumbler um so he shows up um they're talking about the plan and what's going on with you know finding the you know what's going on with the armies and stuff then we get a nice uh more direct uh description of verminard which is a good one quote Verminard was an imposing figure tall and powerfully built he wore dark dark night blue dragon scale armor trimmed in gold the hideous mask of a dragon high, high lord covered his face moving with a grace remarkable in such a large man he leaned back comfortably his leather encased hand absolutely caressing a gold black trim mace by his side um verminar uh is now you get to see things from his point of view um he, he consents, gold moon coming closer and that's making him freaked out again i don't understand how these other, other evil characters can't sense especially dragon can't sense this cleric i guess they don't really care the dragon didn't really care because that's not actually his mission to care about this guy the dragon care less about the guy it's his dragon but that dragon given the opportunity would turn around and burn and eat his ass anytime she want he wanted so um Let's see see uh toad is right to, uh, marching a couple of prisoners turned out one of them is barum the everman who the dragon's the only one knows about this uh opposed and then the other one is seston the uh the gully dwarf from earlier so um how's he been well well um, we'll find out but we get a description of uh barum. He was tall about 50 quote He was tall about 50 human years old His hair was white and his clean shaven face brown and weathered streaked with lines of age He was dressed like a beggar Which is probably what he was vermin. had thought and discussed There was certainly nothing unusual about him except for his eyes, which were bright and young His hands too were those of a man in his pride probably elven blood They think he's feeble-minded and then they just basically um i like that uh verminard basically talks shit to toad right here because i never liked toad quote so you've captured a, a gully dwarf and a spy who can neither hear nor speak verminard said caustically well done toad perhaps now you can go and pick me out a pick me a bouquet of flowers if that is your lordship's pleasure toad replied softly bowing. man what a he's a real ted cruz um yeah toad cruz there we go nailed it um and we get to see how uh seston is doing not good um They're trying to take him out of the room, but he's crying and won't move because he's absolutely... uh, Well, actually, he's fainted now because he was hearing he was to feed the dragon. So basically, they're going to feed gully dwarf to the the dragon. But as we've discussed later, dragons won't eat gully dwarves to be like uh, one of us eating a rat. So um, then they get into exchange. a draconian comes to talk to pyros i think in an exchange about this the cleric coming into the uh the into park pax dark as the dragon doesn't care again i don't get that you know if it, everything's a big mission i mean it's you know it seemed to me would be something of import um then they talk about a, a treacherous friend, um, and that's we you know the traitor. It's 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 Eben. That's all. It's Eben Chatterstone. That's we know that all along. Um, then uh, we flash to the companions, uh, not the two, but the other ones. Um, they've now um, come in where the women are being kept inside Pax Um Quote: Thirty-four women were crowded into one cell. Marita, a woman who is you know, leads them said there were 60 women living in another nearby under conditions so shocking that even the hardened campaigners were appalled. Crude straw maps covered the floor. The women had no possessions beyond a few clothes. They were allowed outdoors for a brief exercise period each morning. The rest of them, they were forced to sew draconian uniforms. That's odd. Though They had been in prison only a few weeks. Their faces were pale in one. Their bodies thin and gaunt from lack of nourishing food. I can't imagine a bunch of women having to sew uniforms for dragon men. That's just seemed to me to be an odd thing. You know, that's a, that's a plot point they had to throw in there to justify why they're still alive, you know? Um, But the, the companions are telling this woman and all the other women, their plan to get everybody loose, you know, basically trying to liberate uh, everyone from Pax Starkaz and get them out of there. Uh, The woman agrees and says on one condition that they don't put their children in danger. Their children are held separately, of course, to, to make everybody, uh, to you know, to make everybody behave. Then it turns out there's another dragon here in in this. A lot of dragons at this point. You now. get a dragon. You, <laughs> you get a dragon. Everybody gets a dragon. But this dragon is named. Um, actually, it's one of my more favorite characters. And we're getting very near the end now. Frank. <laughs> it's a girl. This dragon is a girl. Um. Turns out her name is uh, Flame Strike, and um, pretty good. You know they. This dragon, for some reason, it's a female dragon, and she loves the children. Like she, she protects them in this room, and she really likes the children. Like she, because her children were killed in a war, like by good dragons and and knights centuries ago, and um, now she's basically she's mad. Basically, she's been driven mad by that. Then we have a um. They're forming the plan to get the children out. They're telling you know when the the dragon sleeps and all that stuff, trying to you know sneak them in to sneak them out and um we have a uh, Sturm being Sturm. they wanted him to dress so so he could dress up a woman they wanted him to shave he refuses so um then in similar fashion river wind will not put on a woman's clothes because it's one of one of the worst things that his people can do to a warrior i i like him but they're kind of jerks sometimes like, guys come on you know it's a bit of toxic masculinity. it is it is quite much so um what we do, though, we get a, a nice uh, exchange between Lorana and Tanis. Quote, why don't you shave, Ta- Lorana asked, staring at Tanis's beard, or do you truly enjoy flaunting your human side, as Gelfanus says? I don't flaunt it, Tanis replied evenly. I just got tired of trying to deny it, that's all. He drew a deep breath. Um, basically, what they're getting ready to discuss is that he's trying to apologize to her for how mean he was to her, and she says... Um, she says she's sorry too. And, you know, but she, that he was right and she was acting like, a um, acting like a child. Um, but then, you know, from a point of view, Lorana talks about how she's scared to be, uh, you know, that she's going to collapse. Like she's so afraid that, you know, everything's going to fall apart. Um, then the companions are going over to where the children are dressed as women to try to, you know, now we're getting into the meat of what's actually going to happen. Um, then we're back to Fizban and, and Taz. Um, then we, we get a moment here where you really get um, illuminated in what Fizban actually is. Um, he sees a, Taz sees a painting, and um, w- we'll get into this. Uh, quote, The kinder's voice died. Men, knights of a mountain, and other dragons were fighting back. It's a fight between two, you know, a bunch of dragon riders. The dragons on the night, the the dragons on the night's road were beautiful dragons, gold and silver dragons, and the men carried bright weapons that gleamed with a shining radiance. Suddenly, Tassel Hall understood there were good dragons in the world if they could be found who would help fight the evil dragons. And there was the dragon lance, he murmured. The old magician. The old magician nodded to himself. Yes, little one, he whispered. You understand. You see the answer, and you will remember. But not now. Not now. And reaching out, he ruffled the kinder's hair with his gnarled hand. Dragons. What was I saying? Tannis couldn't. Taz couldn't remember. And what he was doing here? Any. And what was he doing here anyhow? Staring at a painting so covered with dust he couldn't make it out. The kinder shook his head. fizzband must be off. Must be rubbing off on him. Oh yes, the dragon's lair. My calculations are, cor- are correct. It's over there uh he walked away the old magician shuffled along behind smiling you know you he just of course wiped out his memory he didn't want to remember that for i don't understand why really um it's just more you know drama i suppose um then they they come to the men um trying to tell them what's going on uh you know they're having problems because they don't trust gold moon because she's a barbarian i guess and then hedrick that dumb ass who fell into the fire speaks up and basically says, This is all her fault from the, you know, she had the blue crystal staff, all this stuff. Um, um, then we meet um, one of the characters who will become one of the more major characters in the whole, in the whole series later on. His name is Ellistan. He is one of the, um, he's one of the seeker, the high seeker guys. And he was a good man. I mean, he just, he wanted to help people. Um, and we get a, uh, he wants to meet Gold Moon. Because he's he's dying. He's, I think he has cancer. He's laying on a, uh, called the wasting sickness, when they say that's usually cancer. So um, he wants to talk to Goldmoon. Quote, young woman, he said sternly, though his voice was weak, you claim to bring word from ancient gods. If it truly was we humans who turned from them, not the gods who turned from us, as we always thought, then why have they waited so long to make their presence known? I don't get this analogy she makes, but maybe you can help me figure it out. Uh, Gold Moon knelt beside the dying man in silence, thinking how to phrase her answer. Finally, she said, Imagine you were walking through a wood carrying your mo- most precious possession, a rare and beautiful gem. Suddenly, you're attacked by a vicious beast. You drop the gem and run away. When you realize the gem is lost, you're afraid to go back in the woods and search for it. Then, someone comes along with another gem. Deep in your heart, you know it's not as valuable as one you lost, but you're still too frightened to go back to look for the other. Now, does this mean that the gem has left the forest, or is it still lying there, shining brightly between the leaves, waiting for you to return? um basically i think elistan gets it quote elistan closes eyes sighing his face filled with anguish of course the gym waits for our return what fools we have been i wish we had time to learn of your gods he said reaching out his hand um then Eben uh Eben and gilthinus have both disappeared from you know from the from the group um yeah, somewhere making out <laughs> yeah. um, then uh basically it's you know Amber Pyros, the dragon, is sitting there talking to a figure, and it it throws his head it throws his hood back and it's it's Eben and Taz recognizes him and you know freaks out, but they don't tell you who it is till later because they're still trying to, you know, carry that whole plot point along. Um he tells them what's gonna happen, that they're gonna free the women and children to run into the mountains. Um then he tells uh, but he tells pirates that he's found eban the uh, the green gemstone man um, and then we get a nice uh, we get a nice thing with tasselhoff um, something he's talking about some of his father said because he's miserable now and uh, he's starting to see how serious so this all is you know he's very happy-go-lucky he's almost like a child but now all this stuff is starting to dawn on him um quote i'm not supposed to be the one that thinks i just come along for the fun we can't warn tannis and the others because we don't know where they are if we start wandering and looking for them we might get caught and only make things worse he put his chin in his hand you know he said with unusual somberness i once asked my father why kinders were little while we weren't big like humans and elves i really wanted to he be to be big he said softly and for a moment he was quiet what did your father say? Asked Fizban gently. He said, "Kindreds were small because we were meant to do small things. If you look at all the big things in the world closely, he said, you'll see they're really made up of small things all joined together. That big dragon down there comes nothing comes to nothing but tiny drops of blood, maybe. It's the small things that make the difference. I always thought, uh, so he says the small thing they're going to do is res- rescue Seston, because Taz always liked Seston. You know, he took all of the abuse he got with just such... Uh, gentle good well not gentle good humor with such stoicism that uh that uh you know that tasselhoff really started to like him all the companions like the gully dwarf um then they both uh Eben comes back to the companions um then we get another thing where they don't trust each other raceland isn't trusted now um you know they all get in a big argument um then uh they all go to sleep for the night i guess and then we're back to tasselhoff and fizzban and um, and then they're discussing what they're going to do. So um, Tasselhoff says that we should throw a rope down to him. The dragon is asleep right now. Uh, they're still up in the gallery where they can see, and the dragon's still asleep. Um, <laughs> but uh, T- T- Fizban says he has a better idea, um, and he says he's just going to float him up. But uh, <laughs> the f- he he uses the spell, and the dragon starts to float up asleep. And and is, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I missed my aim." So he starts to bring him up. Um, they they get Seston out, um, but Verminard comes walking back in, and um, they start arguing. The dragon and the and the uh, and the uh, and the dragon high lord um, quote then something really funny and also awful happens quote, do not trouble yourself. My Lord Pyros began, then stopped abruptly staring at something very strange, trouble myself for him in our fume. Why should I, he stopped too. the object at which both stared was drifting down through the air. Gentle as a feather, fizzban's hat, <laughs> fizzban's dropped his hat when he's hanging above him. So he's put all their lives in danger. Um, you know, then it goes back to the other companions and they're talking more of, uh, you know what they're going to do. Um, then the women are going over. They're going to go over and get the children. Um, there's a couple of draconians guarding the door. Um, they kill the draconians, um, but then they come into the where the uh, where flame strike is. Uh, Matafleur, who is all the dragons have two names for some reason. Um, and then we're back to the aftermath of Fizban's hat dropping. Um, "Quote," spies yelled Verminar in a rage, pointing up to the balcony. Capture the member. I want them alive. Alive, the dragon repeated himself. No, that could not be. Pyros recalled the strange sound he had heard last night. He knew without a doubt these spies had overheard him talking about the green gemstone. Man, he's gonna have to kill him. So they just all start running. man tells him to run, and uh, then Pyros floods, uh, floats up, and is you know basically watch him run down the hall. He's gonna burn them, um, and it's. Uh, it, here it's a really cool part um quote Tesselhoff heard a great intake of breath in a breath into a giant body then flames crackled and burned around him the darkness vanished driven away by the fire's flaring light but to his amazement Tannis wasn't touched by the flame taz wasn't touched by the flame sorry he looked at Fizban, hatless running next to him they were in the gallery still heading for the double doors um and it could you know they're basically should be dead but for some reason the flames aren't touching them and it's fizzban making the which is an incredibly powerful spell to deflect dragon magic so this guy who can barely seem to you know he he can't even keep his hat from falling off his head when he's doing can't that
1: find his ass with both hands exactly
0: um you know has now protected them from dragon fire um they run into the mechanism room um and they think they're safe and then the dragon's uh then the dragon is on him um Quote, Sestin looked dubiously at Tasselhoff, but just then the dragon's huge claw appeared through the wall. The kinder and the gully dwarf turned and ran after the old magician. Um, the dragon is battering this, the wall down to get to him now. Um, Quote, Flames billowed out, out from the dragon's nose and mouth. The blast from the heat alone nearly knocked Tess off the chain. But once again, the fire burned all around him and did not touch him. Fizzbayan cackled with delight. "Quite clever, old man," said the dragon angrily. "But I too my magic use, and I feel you weakening. I hope your cleverness amuses me all the way down." Then, uh, you know, the dragon actually. Does something very clever. I mean, kind of anyway. Quote: Flames flared out again, but this time the dragon's fire was not aimed at the trembling figures clinging to the chain. The flames struck the chain itself, and the iron links began to glow red hot as the, at the first touch of the dragon fire. Pyrus breathed again, and the links links burned white hot. The dragon breathed a third time. The links melted. The massive chain gave a great shudder and broke, plunging into the darkness below. Pyrrhus watches it plummeted down. Then, satisfied the spies would not live to tell their tale, he flew back to his lair where he could hear Verminard shouting for him. In the darkness left by the dragon, the great cogwheel, free of the chain that had held it in place for centuries, gave a and began to turn. Um, you know, they're falling now uh, Seston, uh, Tasselhoff, and Fizban. Uh Then we're back to. Uh, we finally get a look at Mattafleur or uh, Flamestrike, the other dragon. Tanis caught his breath, he had thought the black dragon in zaxaroth formidable. he was truly awed at the massive size of this red dragon. Her lair was enormous, probably over one hundred feet in diameter, and the the stretched of it, the length of it the tip of her long tail lying against the far wall for a moment, the companions stood stunned with ghastly visions of the giant head rising up and searing them with the burning flame breathed by red dragons. the flames that had destroyed solace uh you just going there's more the a real good description of it's one of the better descriptions uh, in the whole in this whole book. Quote, the great head that lay on the cold stone floor was lined and wrinkled with age. The brilliant red skin gray- grayish and mottled. She breathed noisily through her mouth. Her jaws parted to reveal the once sword sharp teeth now yellowed and broken. Long scars rang along her sides. Her leathery wings were, cra- were dry and cracked. Um, Tannis actually feels pity for the dragon. And, um, you know, it's she's old. And she's, she's not treated well. Like, I think she's kept in this room, you know... Just to keep everybody in line, to you know, it's a threat to to your your this dragon will eat your children, you know, blah blah blah, this and that. But she would never think of uh, hurting them, and then the dragon wakes up. Um, quote, is it time for breakfast already, Marita? flame flamestrike being her name to common mortal, said in a sleepy husky voice. Yes, we're just a bit early today, dearie, Marita said soothingly, but there's a storm brewing and I want the children to have their exercise before it breaks. Go back to sleep. I'll see that they don't wake you on their way out. Um, I, and there's something that's, uh, you know, you start to really, I, I like this dragon. Um, she might be an evil dragon, quote unquote, but she's... As far as dragons go. Yeah, I mean, you have good dragons. She's an evil dragon, but she's uh she actually even worried about one little kid quote the little ones had a restful night the dragon murmured apparently drifting off to sleep again see that they don't get wet if it does storm marita especially little eric he had a cold last week but then um something happens to you know there, there was going to be all get off scot-free and then of course the plot thickens as it does in these books quote at first he thought Tannis, thought it was his imagination that his nervousness was making him hear a buzzing sound in his head, but the sound grew louder and louder, and Sturm turned, staring at him in alarm. The buzzing sound increased until it was like a thousand swarming locusts. Now the others were looking back too, all of them staring at him. Tannis looked at his friends helpless helplessly an almost comic look of confusion on his face it's the sword um, it's a. it's a, it, it's a magic sword that reacts in the um in the presence of a dragon and Rayson just now remembers that the sword is called worm slayer that's the famed magical sword of kith Canaan, and it re- like i said it's reacting to the presence of the dragon so the dragon now um knows something's up quote who have you brought marita metafler's voice was filled with menace I hear a sound i have not heard in centuries i smell the foul smell of steel these are not w- the women these are warriors so then um the sword starts to throw out a brilliant white light that actually hurts the dragon. And they tell, they tell Marita and the other one, run, get the children, you know, we got to get them out of here. Um, and they're wrapping the kids up. Um, but one of the kids comes up quote, Hey, you don't hurt our dragon. One little boy yells, leaving his place in line. The child ran up to Tannis, his fist raised, his face twisted into a snarl. And then they get, they're getting the kids out of there. Um, you know, it was a sad thing. And, you get uh, this you feel really bad for the dragon now because she starts to really rack them them taking the children away quote don't fight my children please this is me you want fight me don't harm my children tannis realized the dragon was back in her past reliving living what ter- whatever terrible event had deprived her of her children um and she's completely freaking out um but now uh, once the kids are out uh the dragon starts to not be so scared quote the dragon no longer feared its magic talking about a sword she knew only knew that her children were gone and she must kill those responsible she lunged directly at the warrior with the He began to run toward the tunnel then darkness dispen- descended upon her darkness so deep metaphor thought for a horrible moment she had lost the sight of the other eye she heard whispered words of magic and knew the hu- robe human had cast a spell i'll burn them she howled sniffing the smell of steel through the tunnel they will not escape but just as she sucked in a great breath she heard another sound the sound of her children no she realized in frustration i dare not my children i might harm my children her head dropped down on the cold stone floor um they're getting all the kids out and we get um then they hear the the mechanism the chain come down and they're wondering what's going on and uh flint of course has something to say quote I'll bet my beard he said gloomily that Tasselhoff's involved. Um, okay. Then we're back to Tasselhoff and Fizban. Um, they're they're falling through the air. Um, quote, Tasselhoff clinging uselessly to the chain, tumbled through the darkness and thought, this is how it feels to die. It's an interesting sensation, and he was sorry he couldn't experience it longer. Above him he could hear Ceston shrieking in horror. Below he heard the old mage muttering to himself, probably trying one last spell. Then Fizban raised his voice. It's, you know what he was going to do is called feather fall but then he couldn't get the words out the word was cut off with a scream there was a sound of a bone-crushing thud as the old magician crashed to the floor tassoff grieved even though he knew he was next the stone floor was approaching within a few seconds he too would be dead then it was snowing at least that what the kinder thought then he realized with a shock that he was surrounded by millions and millions of feathers like an explosion of chickens he sank into a deep vast pile of white feathers sessing tumbling after him Poor Fizz man, Tess said, blinking tears from his eyes, He flattered in an ocean of, of white chicken feathers. His last spell must have been feather fault like raceland uses. Wouldn't you know it? He just got the feathers. Above him, the, ca- the cog will turn faster and faster. The free chain rushing through it as, as if it's releasing rejo- rejoicing in its release from bondage. Um, you know, that's a, a good part. What Basically, what had happened was is that he was trying to do that spell and he saved Sestan and Taslov by the chain following falling into a bunch of feathers, you know, so they didn't get killed, but he got killed. So or did he? No. <laughs> um then Barum and uh, Eben is trying to get Barum out of the um, Eben is trying to get Barum out of the fortress with all the stuff going on. For for that's what the dragon told him to do. Um uh Hold on for a second. This is the side mission, of course. And then, though, uh, Verminard sees what's going on, and then um, they're now going to go deal with everything. So that's not a good thing. This would be a moment where you'd hear a swell of dramatic music. Quote, the Dragon Highlord ran to the ledge as Pyrus dropped past him. Verminard climbed swiftly and skillfully on the dragon's back. Though separated, separated by mutual distrust, the two fought well together. Their hatred for the petty races they strove to conquer combined with their desire for power joined them on a bond much stronger than they either cared to admit. Fly, Verminard roared, and Pyrozone in the air. Where basically, they're getting ready to kill everybody. Um, the companions are trying to get um trying to get all the people to to the gates before everything can happen They're in this open courtyard and that's where all this shit is hitting the fan um Sturm sees uh Eben, um and he's gonna go kill him um and then we get uh the first description of what makes barham so unique Quote, the man's shirt had been torn open in his wild flight from the mines. Impaled on the man's flesh in the center of his chest was a brilliant green jewel. Sunlight flashed on the gem that was as big around as a man's fist, causing it to gleam with a bright and terrible light, an unholy light. Um, you'll understand what this is later. Again, I'm anxious to read this again, too, because I didn't quite get it the last time around what his significance is. It is significant. Like, I think that his... Creation was allowed, was what allowed Takisis to come back into the world and start, you know, the Queen of Darkness doing what she did. Um, but then um, things go south for the two guys pretty quickly. Quote The boulders began to fall just as Eban and Baram arrived at the gates. Ibn shrieked in terror, instinctively and pitifully raised his arm to shield his head. The man next to him glanced and up and, it seemed, gave a small sigh. Then both were buried under tons of cascading rock as the ancient defense mechanism sealed. Shut the gates of Pax Tharkas. Um, now that we have one of the, we're coming to almost the very end, we're having a, a really great moment. This is one of the best written moments of this book. Um, this This final, you know, final act. Um, quote, this is your final act of defiance, Verminard roared. His speech had been interrupted by the fall of the rocks, an act that only enraged him more. I offered you a chance to work to for the, further the glory of my queen. I cared for you and your families, but you were stubborn and foolish. You would pay with your lives. The dragon hollered raised Nightbringer high in the air. That's the name of his mace. That's actually kind of a cool name. I'll destroy the men. I will destroy the women. I will destroy the children. Um, that was the wrong thing to say because now we see uh, Pyros and Vermin are getting ready to sweep down on him, but they're interrupted. Quote, sweeping up into the sky from the pile of rubble made when she crashed out of the fortress, Mata flew, flew straight at Pyros. The ancient dragon sunk deeper into her madness. Once more, she relived the nightmare of losing her children. She could see the knights upon the silver and golden dragons, the wicked dragon lances gleaming in the sunshine. In vain, she pleaded with her children not to join the hopeless fight. In vain, she sought to convince them the war was at an end. They were young and would not listen. They flew off, leaving her weeping in her lair. As she watched in her mind's eye the bloody final battle, she saw, as she saw her children die upon the dragon lances, she heard Verminard's voice, I will destroy the children. And as she had done so many centuries before, Matafluor flew out to defend them. Now we're getting a dragon attack, two dragons fighting, which is a pretty great thing. Um, you know, this, this whole passage is great, so I'm just going to go ahead and uh, give it all to you. Quote, Pyro, stunned by the unexpected attack, swerved just in time to avoid the broken, yet still lethal teeth of the old dragon aiming for his unprotected flanks. Mataflora hit him with a glancing blow, tearing painfully into one of the heavy muscles that drove the giant wings. Rolling in the air, Pyrrhus lashed out, lashed out the passing Mataflora with a wicked taloned forefoot, tearing a gash in the female dragon's soft underbelly. In her madness, Mataflora did not even feel the pain, but the force of the larger and younger male's dragon blow dragon's blow knocked her backwards in the air. The roll over maneuver had been an instinctive defensive action on the part of the male dragon. He had been able to gain both altitude and time to plan his attack. He had, however, forgotten his rider. Verminard, riding without the dragon saddle used in battle, lost his grip on the dragon's neck and fell to the courtyard below. It was not a long drop and he landed uninjured, only bruised and momentarily shaken. So now we've got uh Verminard um falling to the fell to the ground and he's getting up and he's gotta he's gonna fight um he's gonna fight these four people. Um we have a a moment uh with lorana who's now you know they kind of forgot her and she got kind of lost in the shuffle i think in this part a little bit but uh they I think they knew that, so they tried to bring her back in. Quote, the companions became separated in the crowd. Lorana was cut off from everyone. Gelthenus had tried to stay near her, but he was carried off in the mob. The elf maiden, more frightened than she believed possible and longing to hide, fell back against the wall of the fortress, her sword in her hand. As she watched the raging battle in horror, a man fell to the ground in front of her, clutching his stomach, his fingers red with his own blood. His eyes fixed in death, seeming to stare at her as his blood formed a pull at her feet. Lorana stared at the blood in horrid fascination. Then he heard a sound. Then she heard a sound in front of her. Shaking, she looked up directly into the hideous, reptilian face of the man's killer. It's a draconian. Um, she actually, uh, she has a uh, her sword on her, of course. So she fights to defend herself. Quote, Lorana plunged her weapon into the draconian's body, feeling his sharp elven blade penetrate both armor and flesh, hearing bone splinter and the creature's last gurgling scream. It turned to stone... Yanking the sword from her hand, but Arana, thinking with a cold detachment that amazed her, knew from, from hearing the warriors talk that if she waited a moment, the stone body would turn to dust, releasing her weapon." The sound of battle raged around her. The screams, the death cries, the thuds and groans, the clash of steel, but she heard none of it. She waited calmly until she saw the body crumble. Then she reached down and, sifting the dust aside with her hand, she grasped the hilt of her sword and lifted it into the air. Sunlight flashed on the blood-stained blade. Her enemy lay dead at her feet. She looked around but could not see tennis. She could could not see any of the others. For all she knew, they might be dead. For all she knew, she might might herself be dead within the next moment. Lorana lifted her eyes to the sun-drenched blue sky. The world she... The world she might soon be leaving seemed newly made. Every object, every stone, every leaf stood out in painful clarity. A warm, fragrant southern breeze sprang up, driving back the storm clouds that hung over her homeland to the north. Lorana's spirit released from its prison of fear, soared higher than the clouds and her sword flashed in the morning sun. That's a very well written passage. Um uh, I always thought, you know, she becomes a very important character later on, and uh a character that I like very much. Um They really really developed her well, and she's in one of my favorite paintings. That I'm not going to say now because the thing that happens around this painting is uh, it was a big shock and it was very sad. But it um, it's in uh, of course it's in the uh, the big Dungeons and Dragons uh, art and Arcana. You know all that's It's one of the paintings in there. It's by Larry Elmore, and it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um how we have the fight between Verminard and the companions and this is where Verminard actually shows that he's kind of a badass quote Verminard studied the four men as they approached him. These were not slaves, he realized. Then he recognized them as the ones who traveled with the golden-haired cleric. These, then, were the ones who defeated Onyx and Zaxarov, escaped the slave caravan, and broken into Pax Tharkas. He felt as if he knew them. The knight from that broken land of past glories, a half-wolf trying to pass himself off as a human, a deformed, sickly magician, and the mage's twin, a human giant whose brain was probably as thick as his arms. It would be an interesting fight, he thought. He almost welcomed hand to hand combat. It had been a long time. He was growing Growing bored with commanding armies from the back of a dragon, Thing of Ember, he glanced to the sky, wondering if he might be able to summon aid. Um, he's not because Pyrus is getting everything he wants. He's getting all he wants from Matiflor. She is um, actually that describes this is one of my more favorite passages about it. Uh, "Quote: Matiflor had been fighting battles when Pyrus was still in the egg. What she lacked in strength, she made up for in guile and cunning. The air crackled with flames. Dragon blood dropped down like red rain." That's an awesome passage. Just imagine those two going at it. And I like the fact that even though she's old and stuff, she's very cunning. She knows what she's doing. And, you know, she's not giving anything up to a dragon who's younger and bigger and stronger than her because she's just really good at fighting. Um, the uh, companions advance on Verminard now. Quote, And so the four came forward, spreading out to outflank him since he had nothing to set his back against. Crouching low, Verminard swung night, in an arc, keeping them back, forming his plans. He must even the odds quickly. Gripping Nightbringer in his right hand, the evil cleric sprang forward from his crouched stance with all the strength in his powerful legs. His sudden move took his opponents by surprise. He did not raise his mace. All he needed now was his deadly touch. Landing on his feet in front of Raiceland, he reached out and grabbed the magic by the shoulder, whispering a soft prayer to his dark queen. Raiceland screamed. His body pierced by unseen, unholy weapons, he sank to the ground in agony. Karaman grabbed a great bellowing roar and sprang at Verminard. But the cleric was prepared. He swung the mace nightbringer and struck the warrior a glancing blow. Midnight, Verminard Whisper, and Caraman's bellow to a sound of panic as the spellblane spellbound mace blinded him. Um He's given them all they want. Like he's it's four on one, and he's already taken two of them out. And, you know. Um there's a book about Verminard called Behind the Mask. And I remember it being a pretty good book. Um and but he is definitely a Boba Fett, Darth Vader. Well, he's more of a Boba Fett or Darth Maul type character because, you know, uh, we'll get into that. Um, quote, out of the corner of his eye, Verminard saw the half-elf leap for him, a two-handed sword of ancient elvish design in his hands. Verminard whirled, blocking Tennis's sword with Nightbringer's massive oaken handle. For a moment, the two combatants were locked together, but Verminard's greater strength went out and he hurled Tennis to the ground. The Salabnick knight raised his sword in salute. A costly mistake. It gave Verminard time to remove a small iron needle from a hidden pocket. Raising, he called once more upon the Queen of Darkness to defend her cleric. Sturm, striding forward, suddenly felt his body grow heavier and heavier until he could walk no more. Um, This is a moment where uh, Verminard mocks uh, Sturm. He says... Uh, Baravace Karras Verminard said in Slamnik he lifted the mace in a grimace mockery of the knight's salute then aimed for the knight's head knowing that his death would be the most torturous possible for a knight dying at the mercy of the enemy but then Goldmoon catches his hand and um, then we get to something that I didn't quite understand at the time um, and it's not I almost wish they hadn't put it in like I wish there's something that would have been edited out but um, it's uh, from the from the point of view of uh, the Dark Queen herself Quote, and then it was that the Dark Queen herself looked up to find a radiant god dressed in white and shining armor appear on the horizon of her plans. She was not ready to fight this god. She had not expected his return, and so she fled to rethink her options and restructure her battle, seeing for the first time the possibility of defeat. The Queen of Darkness withdrew and left her cleric to his fate. That was fucked him. You know, just like, well, you're on your own now. So (laughs) Um, later on, you get a description of Takesa's paladine who the other god is and gillian who is the the neutral god they're the they're the elder three most powerful gods and they're depicted as siblings and sibling and they are siblings takis is always portrayed as kind of a petulant spoiled kid paladine her brother's like you know you know always trying to get her to do the right thing i guess and then uh gillian is like kind of like the older brother who's above their squabbles. He's just trying to, you know what I mean? It's a very good depiction, but this is very early. Um, and uh, I wish they might have gone back and rewritten it, like with more of that in mind, as opposed to just kind of a, a sketch of the two gods, you know what I mean? So um, then uh, Gold Moon has distracted Verminard long enough, and they're finally able to overcome him. Um, let's see. Okay. Quote Just as Verminard's hand closed over the visor of his helmet, the magic blade of Kith Canaan pierced his arm and slid into his back. The dragon ho- Highlord screamed and world in rage, only to see the slamic Knight appear in his blood dim vision. The ancient blade of Sturm's father plunged into his bowels. Verminard fell to his knees. Silly he struggled to remove the helm. He couldn't breathe. He couldn't see. He felt another sword thrust, then darkness overtook him. Um, he wasn't doing well, and I don't think Pyrus is doing very, very well either. Um, but he's starting to gain the upper hand, but then that changes quickly quote high overhead, a dying Matafluor weakened by loss of blood and many wounds heard the voices of her children crying to her. She was confused and disoriented. Pirates seemed to be attacking for every direction at once. Then the big red dragon was before her against the wall of the mountain. Matafluor saw her chance. She would save her children. Pyrrhus breathed a great blast of flame directly in the face of the ancient red dragon he watched in satisfaction as the head withered the eyes melted but Matiflor ignored the flames that seared her eyes forever ending her vision and flew straight at Pyrrhus the big male dragon his his mind clouded by Fury and pain, and thinking that he had finished his enemy, was taken by surprise. Even as he breathed again, his deadly fire realized with with horror the position he was in. He had allowed Madafleur to maneuver him him between herself and the sheer face of the mountain. He had nowhere to go, no room to run. was soared into him with the force, all the force of her once powerful body, striking him like a spur, spear hurled by the gods. Both dragons slammed into the mountain. The peak trembled and split apart as the face of the mountain exploded in fa- flames. In later years when the death of flamestrike was legend there were those who claimed to have heard a dragon's voice fade away like smoke in an autumn wind whispering my children. That is the, that is the end pretty much of, of, of the big adventure in this book. Um, there is a part at the end um, that is a very beautiful part. It's called The Wedding. It's an epilogue. And it's Riverwind and Goldman getting married. And it has so much beauty to it that I wanted to read it in full. But it's just not possible. Um, I'll read just some of the, you know, the description of uh, what they look like. And, you know, and, the, and the, this is where Margaret Weiss and Trace Pitkin are best. The, both the touching things that are soft and love. And then the awful things where terrible things happen, like the destruction of the Quishu village. We remember how good that was, even though it was crushing. It was a soul crusher but uh, here we go quote as the sun's rays spread across the sky. Elliston took his place on the top of the general rise. He's going to marry him now because now he's a cleric of uh, he's become a cleric of Paladin. I think, uh, gold Moon healed him. Uh, the people gathered in the silence at the foot of the hill. From the east came Tika and Lorana, bearing torches. Behind them walked Gold Moon, chieftain's daughter. Her hair fell down around her shoulders in streams of molten gold, mingled with silver. Her head, head was crowned with autumn leaves. She wore the simple fringe doe skin tunic she had worn through, her, through their adventures. The medallion of Mishakal glittered at her throat. She carried her broad gift bride gift wrapped in a cloth as fine as cobweb, for the beloved ones must be the first out to see it. This is something that they had to make this is i thought this is a very touching thing the gift they have to give each other has to be made with their own hands they can't buy it they can't do anything so um that's a beautiful uh, i thought there was a thing thing about tika and lorana and gold moon all three wildly different representations of beauty but you know very i thought it was um very beautiful um then we get to riverwind comes in quote a blaze of torches lit Riverwind's way. Tanis and Sturm, of course, their solemn faces, wistful and gentle, led. Riverwind came behind, towering over the others, his face stern as always. But a radiant joy, brighter than the torches, lit his eyes. His black hair was crowned with autumn leaves, his groom gift covered by one of Tasselhoff's handkerchiefs. I thought that was sweet. Behind him walked Flint and the kinder. Caraman and Rayson came last, the, magic, the mage bearing the light of crystal medius instead of a torch. Um... They go through the vows, and the vows are beautiful. Um, I can read a little bit of it. Um, but again, I, this is a very long passage, and it's so good that I want to read the whole thing. But it's just d- due to brevity, you know, we're already almost three hours in. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more difficult this time. Um, quote, the left hand is the hand of the heart, he said, placing Goldmoon's left hand in Riverwind's left hand and holding his own left. This is Elliston joining together. We join left hands that the love in the hearts of this man and this woman may combine to form something greater as two streams joined together to form a mighty river. The river flows to the land, branching off into tributaries, exploring new ways, yet ever drawn to the eternal sea receive their love paladine greatest of the gods bless and grant them peace that lasts in their hearts if there is peace in the shattered land i always thought that was very good um the vows they exchange are in uh poetry form um i won't read it all it was it's nice i'm just not a fan of poetry and i don't think i can do it justice but what i can do justice is just reading uh what they gave to each other quote when the vows were spoken they exchanged gifts gold moon shyly handed her present to river wind he unwrapped it with his hands hands that trembled it was a ring plated of her own hair bound with bands of silver and gold and as fine as the hair they surrounded gold moon had given flint her mother's jewelry the the old the dwarf's old hands had not lost their touch what she gave was her hair and she had plated it she had just had flint finish it like because he's a he's a goldsmith, you know? um, that doesn't violate what I just said about it had to be made in their own hands. Cause it still is, but that's, that was just the finisher. Um, Quote, in the wreckage of Solace, Riverwind had found a Valenwood branch spared by the dragon's fire and carried it in his pack. Now that branch made Riverwind's gift to Goldmoon, a ring perfectly smooth and plain. When polished, the wood of the tree was a rich gold color, marked by streaks and whorls of softest brown. Goldmoon, holding it, remembered the first night she had seen the great valenwoods the night they had stumbled, weary and frightened, into Solace, bearing the blue crystal staff. She began to cry snawfully and wiped her eyes with Taz's handkerchief um it's this is now they end the ceremony um then they're having a they're having a feast of course all the people from pax thark what happened was that there was a big snowstorm and it and and they were and they're in a secluded valley where the dragon armies can't get to them because there are no more dragons right now because both of them are dead so you know basically they're going to go through i think it's the corollas mountains and they're going to be what they're going to try to do is go into Thurbarden. That's where we open the, you know, I'm not trying to telegraph the next book, but that's where we're going next because that's, that's where they're heading. Um, and then uh, Tannis and Sturm see something quote, Tannis looked where Sturm gestured puzzled then he saw the man sitting alone hunched over his food eating it absently as if he didn't really taste it whenever anyone approached the man shrank back eyeing him nervously until he passed suddenly Tannis perhaps cinching Tannis' eyes on him he raised his head and stared directly at him the half elf gasped and dropped his fork but that's impossible he ended, He said in a strangled voice we saw him die with Eben no one could have survived that I was right Tannis, Sturm said grimly you recognize him too I thought I was going mad let's go talk to him it's Ebe. It's the, the green genstone man he is truly immortal um i liked uh they describe people dancing with each other um like a you know the Sarah, as you do at a wedding um one of my more favorite uh ones is this quote "Lorana and gilthinus performed an ancient elvish dance of grace and beauty singing together a hymn of joy um i could that's just one of my more you know just imagining those two godlike uh, you know, brother and sister are demonstrating something. So great. Um, then Tannis and Raceland have a an exchange. And it's one of the best written things in the book. It's just because of the dialogue. Um, Tannis asks Raceland, if he sees no hope and Raceland says something that's cold, but brilliant quote, hope is the denial of reality is the carrot dangled before the draft horse to keep him plodding along in a vain attempt to reach it. Are you saying we should just give up, Tannis? Asked irritably, tossing the bark away. I'm saying we should remove the carrot and walk forward with our eyes open. Raistlin answered, coughing. He drew, drew drew his robes more closely around him. How will you fight the dragons, Tannis? For there will be more, more than you can imagine. And where now is Huma? Where now is the dragon lance? No, half elf. Do not talk to me of hope. Um, then you know that's the end for them. But then, we uh, fittingly, you end the book with Tasselhoff. Um, he had heard that whole exchange. And this is a long passage, but I think it's important to read to finish, to finish this book and finish this, uh, this series. Quote, Tasselhoff sank back into the soft grass beneath the pine trees. No hope, the Kendra repeated bleakly. Sorry he had followed the half-elf. I don't believe what he said, but his eyes went to Tanis, staring at the stars. Tanis believes that Kendra realized, and the thought filled him with dread. And ever since the death of the old magician, an unnoticed change had come over the Kendra. Tasselhoff began to consider this adventure was in earnest, that it had a purpose for which people gave their lives. He wondered why he was involved, and perhaps—and thought perhaps he had given the answer to Fizban. The small things he was meant to do were more important somehow in the big scheme of things. But until now, it never occurred to the kinder that this all might be for nothing, that it might not make any difference, that they might suffer and lose people they loved like Fizban, and the dragons would still win in the end. Still, the kinder said softly, we have to keep trying and hoping. That's what's important, the trying and the hoping. Maybe that's the most important of all. Something floated down gently from the sky, brushing past the kinder's nose. Taz reached out and caught it in his hand. It was a small white chicken feather. That's the end of the book. Pretty cool. That was, this has been, (laughs) it's been a rough uh, beginning because I wasn't familiar with the format uh, quite yet. And I had uh, some rough times in episode three, especially there should have only been three, but I felt it was necessary to end that one. So I could finish the book properly and do it and do it justice at the end and because it was I knew especially with the wedding and the end of the book was such a beautiful thing that had to be done. And then the you know, just the all the good stuff with Tasselhoff and Fizban and then that good fight. I just thought it was it was best to do it that way. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this. And uh, the next book we'll be doing is the sequel to this called Dragons of Winter Night. And it's my favorite in the series It's the Empire Strikes Back of the Dragonlance Chronicles. That means everything goes to hell. That usually means it's the most compelling. So you guys come back uh, next week and we'll start reading that one. And thanks for joining me.